We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome to all our listeners. This is Soft Talk Radio. I'm Neil Bradley, and with me tonight is co-host Joe Quinn. Hi there. Softnet techie Jason Martin. Hey, what's up? And we've also got Sat editor Pierre Lescodon. Hello. Um, I'm particularly happy that we've got Pierre on this evening because he's currently writing a book that'll be upcoming, published on with uh, Red Pill Press, and it'll. I think it will encompass a lot of what we're talking tonight, talking about tonight, and uh, and more. So uh, stay tuned. Watch the space. Well, we're <clears throat> it's uh, just gone past 21st of June. That means we have just marked the summer solstice for 2013. I don't know about all of you, but what's the summer? <laughs> what's the summer? Well, we spent we we had to light a fire that day. Because yeah. it was that chilly. It's pretty chilly today, too, actually. Indeed, I was wearing a scarf most of today. Yeah. And actually, it's uh, not only it's summer right now, but uh, we're supposed to be going through right now the the maximum of solar cycle 24. So there's a function of summertime, more solar irradiance, and uh, solar cycle maximum. So we should be sweating. We should be wearing uh, T-shirts and uh, so tanning. Taking the the solar cycle, the eleven year solar cycle. Yes, the eleven one. Just taking that, all, all other things being equal, we would be having a warmer than usual summer. Exactly. Huh. Whatever happened to, to global warming? Well, <laughs> it, it flew away. <laughs> we'll, we'll be getting to that in a minute. Um, I'm sure most of our listeners will be aware that the weather is going haywire all over the place, certainly where you are, um, uh, just scanning the headlines, to be honest with you, it just shows it's either unusually hot in places where it shouldn't be, or more generally, it's extremely wet. It's flooding all over the place. It's also more chaotic. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Just in the last week alone, we've got... Spain, okay? Spain is bracing for the coldest summer in 200 years. France's main weather channel has announced that there's a 70% chance of this summer being cold and wet across Spain, France, Portugal, Germany, and Austria. So, not just Spain, then the whole of Western Europe. The year without summer, 1816, is not an old wise tale. And then in the U.S. as well, Memorial Day, weekend snowfall smashes 1816 record. There's that year again. 34 inches of snow fell in Cavot, Vermont on Memorial Day at the end of May. The previous record was one inch on the same weekend in 1816. Uh, right now in Canada, there's a huge flood. Um, in, the, in Alberta, I saw some photos today of Calgary. It's completely 
underwater. 75,000 people evacuated. Um, the, the images looked devastating. There were huge mudslides that seemed to wipe through whole suburbs. Well, on the upside, if there's like a flash freeze there, I mean, they're going to have like massive hockey. I mean, they can have like an entire uh, entire city of people playing hockey simultaneously. A, a bonus season. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the ice because um, in the flooding in Spain, in the north of Spain right now, right. Just, over, just over the Pyrenees, in fact, they said that one of the reasons why it was particularly bad, besides the fact that they had, I don't know, two months of snowfall <laughs> in 12 hours, or two months of rainfall in 12 hours, is because the ground was still frozen from our unusually cold winter. Right. And it meant that it was less, the water was less likely to seep away right. to the normal channel. It was going over the top. Yeah. Um, it also explains the massive floods when you have a huge rain in a relatively warm weather, relatively, combined to a massive snow stock in the mountains. This rain melts the snow and combine with the melted snow to generate the massive floods uh, that we have uh, witnessed a few days ago in uh, uh, southwestern France, in the Pyrenees, with Lourdes and uh, yeah, one, that, one meter of mud, something like that. I think the source of the floods in, in France and Spain or the Pyrenees, the main source of them were rivers who were flowing. From snow melt? No, from rain. Rain, from snow large, melt? Large amounts of rain. Lakes that were full because uh, over the last six months you've been... Uh, you've had very high levels of rainfalls, higher than the monthly average. So you have basically the lakes that are full, the soils that are saturated with water, the rivers that are already high, and on top of that, the, the aquifers that are full as well. Mm -hmm. On top of that, if you have a heavy rainfall episode, and we had many, and a massive snow, massive stock, uh, massive uh, melting of massive stock of snow, as we have now in the, the Pyrenees, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was something like 15 meters of cumulative snowfall in the Pyrenees during last winter. It leads to a very unusual uh, floods. Yeah, there was a local report that people were still skiing in the Pyrenees. Yeah, in early June. first. Yeah. <clears throat> Two weeks later, bang. And I thought it was pretty symbolic that, that Lourdes, the holy site of pilgrimage, was... Washed away. Well, not washed away. It's it was underwater. There was underwater. And yeah. the second time, it was uh, flooded already in uh, October, November last year. Mm. So there's something going on. There's some change going on. It's kind of. Uh, it's not only uh, one event. It's a series of an event yeah, spread over a month. Is when I was growing up, you know, I mean, I was in Florida, plenty of rain and stuff like that. But I never noticed or heard about so much going on in so many different places simultaneously. That's mm. really kind of a. A new thing, you know? Yeah, it's, it's it's the amount of snow or the amount of rain that is falling um, all at once. Like in Canada, you mentioned uh, in Alberta and Calgary, and they've had some, there were several rivers that were overflowed. And in some some areas in, near Calgary, they got six months of rain in two days. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's that's more than enough to cause flooding. It doesn't matter what uh, what shape the ground's in or mm. uh, what kind of defenses you have. If you get six months of rain in two days, you're screwed. You're gonna have, you're gonna be flooded. Yeah. I mean, but why? I have a kind of kind of question. Maybe you know somebody can answer it because I don't know much about science or any of this meteorology crap. But uh, exa exactly, how do you have six months worth of rain in like two days? Like, where does that 
Where does it even come from? Well, uh, there are several factors. <clears throat> One first factor is the the jet stream. The jet stream basically is the high-speed wind at high altitude that separates polar regions from temperate regions. And uh, over the last years, the jet stream, and we, later we can talk about the, the causes of this change, but the jet stream has been changing. Basically, it's weaker, it's meandering, and it's more south. So instead of having a neat separation between cold air, cold polar air, and a warm, relatively warm, temperate air, you have a lot of uh, mixing, caolic, and uh, this mix, this mixing, this succession in the same place of hot air and cold air is the cause for, one of the causes for depression. When you have a, a hot, warm place and a front cold reaching, the yeah. air cools down, there's condensation and there's rain. That's one factor. Another factor is the accumulation of dust in the atmosphere also known as global dimming. Over the the four last decades, you had about 3% dimming increase. Uh, later, we can talk about the, the source of this dust. Allegedly, it's the industrial pollution, but it's probably not the real reason. And the more dust you have, actually, the more likely um, water vapor is likely to condensate. Because for water with vapor to condensate, you need a nucleation particles. You need a particle around which the droplets can form and uh, create clouds. And uh, another factor that is, led, that is linked to this uh, dust accumulation in, in the atmosphere that uh, actually there is a huge electric difference between the surface of the Earth and the ionosphere this kind of uh, high-altitude atmosphere. And because of this dust, the atmosphere is more conductive, electrically conductive, and you have more discharges. And uh, maybe we talk about that later, but those electric discharges are one of the main drivers of the uh, what we call uh, air spirals, tornadoes, depression, hurricanes that are major sources of rainfalls. So all those factors combine, and there is another factor that is the global cooling, the reduction in... Uh, solar activity, when you have global cooling, temperature drops around the globe, and temperature dropping leads to more condensation, Con more condensation, more rain. So you have several factors at work that uh, act well, in a synergetic way. Actually, global warming can lead to global cooling and more rain as well, in the sense that uh, warming of the ocean, of the ocean in certain parts of the planet uh, increases convection right. uh, over over um, other areas, say from the south, warm, warmer. If it warmed in the south, you had warmer oceans in the south. Yeah, that warm water is conveyed northwards and then evaporates uh, so into I, the air and then and then falls as rain and falls. I mean, it's kind of quite complex. Because isn't it? of because I'm so simple-minded, but I just want to get this. So basically, you have this warm band around the earth. Uh, where water kind of becomes gaseous, it evaporates, but it permeates the air, you know, because it's kind of like a, a damp, you know, it's, it's turned into sort of a gas. And because the jet stream, which separates the warm and the cool, has degraded, when that warm air hits the cool air, and there's particulate matter in the atmosphere, 
condensation forms on the particles because, of course, it needs a surface surface to condensate, and then that causes more rainfall. You know, in that situation, but because it has to have the hot air coming towards the cool air, the weakness of the Gulf Stream and the particles, and that causes the condensation. Yeah, for condensation, for clouds to form, you need basically two factors. <clears throat> you need a arrival of cold air, okay. and you need a nucleation around particles. I know. And uh, that. that's, that's interesting. And uh, we witnessing both an increase in uh, atmospheric dust and. Uh, Meandering jet stream generating an alternance of uh, cold hair pocket and hot hair pockets. Yeah, I mean, if you know if the, the recent these floods that, that they had in along the Pyrenees, along the south of France and into Spain over the past week, were uh, they were coming in off the Atlantic, you know. And if you look at the jet stream and what the jet stream has been doing, the jet stream has been kind of meandering south and breaking up, allowing right. cold air to come down that wouldn't normally come in the winter time, yeah. and it's coming down and it's meeting warm air coming up from, you know, the South Atlantic type thing, you know, and it seems to be forming these kind of fronts, uh, rain fronts, basically, that, that they just came in off the Atlantic coast of France and across the Pyrenees there. And it's strange because it was really only there that, that, that in that particular episode over the past week that it happened because we were, at the time, I was about uh, maybe 500, not even 500 miles away, 400 miles away. It was 30 degrees and yeah. the sun was splitting the stones, you know. Yeah. So uh, it was very localized. There does seem flooding. to be <clears throat> there does seem to be an east-west divide. The, the the French Meteo, the French Meteorological Organization, um, w- when they made this claim that Western Europe is in for the coldest summer in 200 years, they they pulled up a reproduction of the data they have for what the summer was like back then, 1816, and compared it with the current conditions. And you see this again, this, north, this east-west divide, where temperatures from Spain, France, the Pays-Bas, the, the low countries, right up to mm-hmm. the Nordic countries, are all about three degrees below the background regular average. Yeah, uh, you, de- you definitely have, and it might get uh, worse in the short future, a divide between the eastern coast of the U.S. and west of co- western coast of Europe, mm. because uh, one of the factors we didn't mention yet is the Gulf Stream. Basically, the Gulf Stream brings hot water from uh, the Gulf, Florida coast, up along the eastern coast of the U.S. and uh, east towards the western coast of Europe. And uh, recently, in a scientific paper, it's been acknowledged that since around 2000, the Gulf Stream has been weakening. Mm-hmm. It's not dead. It is not. It didn't stop. It's not a linear process, but overall, it's weakening and weakening. And actually, there are some uh, explanation for that. But uh, in any case, the combination of the jet stream that generates the dominant wind in Western Europe that go eastward, that brings the air warmed up by the Gulf Stream over the Atlantic Ocean towards Western Europe, you have a combination of weakening of the jet stream and weakening of the Gulf Stream. So basically, the Eastwards wind blowing over Europe are much colder and much weaker. So you get far less calories. The Gulf Stream, it's uh, the power of the jet stream every second is uh, calculated in petawatts. Petawatts is uh, 10 power, I don't remember how much. It's uh, several factors more than what is produced by the whole planet, it's like by human beings. It's a lot of, uh, mm. of heat, a lot of calories. 
a peta petawatt should be one thousand times one thousand gigawatts or something like that. It's it's immense. Yeah, and uh, there's a study recently that was recently done. Um, a scientific report on I think there were guys in a uh, university in, in Japan um, and they claim that they have found a link between the Gulf Stream and that North Atlantic drift that goes over uh, that warms Eastern or uh, warms Western Europe from the Gulf, the South Atlantic and Gulf waters, uh, that there's a link between that that Gulf Stream and the, and the jet stream that basically when they they use various satellite technologies, etc., to to kind of uh, view the the these high altitude winds like the jet stream, oh. and they saw that they actually followed the path of the jet stream, followed the path of the of the Gulf Stream, so that the Gulf Stream was in some way influencing the the jet stream or keeping it kind of uh, you know keeping it stable perhaps. So if the Gulf Stream, uh, as a result of cooling of the oceans ceases to kind of function or stops bringing this warm air across and basically stalls, well, then you have the jet stream stalling as well and not fulfilling its role of kind of keeping uh, cold polar air north of, of, of Europe. And But the whole thing is such a complex system and so interrelated that anything that changes one aspect of it feeds back into it, seems to have the effect of feeding back into it and worsening it, you know, and creating a lot of chaos uh, in terms of weather patterns. You just have a breakdown of the stable weather patterns that we've had, particularly in the northern hemisphere, and and it just it starts flip flopping all over the place. It's it's in a state of flux, and uh, whether there's something else to happen before it would restabilize again, and maybe it'll restabilize in a different, completely different format, i.e., maybe a little ice age or something like that, as so many people have been suggesting, uh, is as yet unknown. But right now we seem to be in the middle of a rather chaotic change or phase transition uh, in terms of our weather and that's having a lot of uh, obviously creating a lot of problems for people and also a lot of implications for for human beings in general around the world because of food production and I mean well, the, the interesting thing that always strikes me about that particular subject is that when you learn you know any kind of like natural history of, of evolution or the human race and stuff like that, you kind of learn about this, these things called ice ages. And uh, predominantly, for like a, a very long time, the Earth is consistently in, in, in ice ages for like 100,000 years, and then it breaks up for about, you know, 11,000, 10 to 11,000 years. And then, it, and then it goes back in. And this has been a consistent sort of like pattern throughout, you know, the natural history of, of the Earth, as far as I know, at least since the time of the dinosaurs and even before, perhaps. And so you have all of these people, and they're like, oh, yeah, but then suddenly you think that that's not going to happen like, mm-hmm. again, right? And we're at, we're at the tail end or something like that of an 11,500-year interglacial cycle. I mean, even if it happens 100 years from now, I mean, you know, well, the people don't seem to realize that that kind of stuff, it happens. And there's, it's a force of nature so immense there is no government in the world that can just stop it. They can't even control the weather. They can't stop it from raining. They sure as shit can't stop it. Well, you might actually think that, but that's quite relevant because uh, I have a, a little audio clip here to play. This is our glorious leader, uh, President Obama. Uh, this Just this past weekend, he, uh, he released a, um, a video 
that was a an advance notice about his uh, climate change speech that he's planning to give on Tuesday. Um, so have a listen. In my inaugural address, I pledged that America would respond to the growing threat of climate change for the sake of our children and future generations. This Tuesday at Georgetown University, I'll lay out my vision for where I believe we need to go. A national plan to reduce carbon pollution, prepare our country for the impacts of climate change, and lead global efforts to fight it. This is a serious challenge, but it's one uniquely suited to America's strengths. We'll need scientists to design new fuels and farmers to grow them. We'll need engineers to devise new sources of energy and businesses to make and sell them. We'll need workers to build the foundation for a clean energy economy. And we'll need all of our citizens to do our part to preserve God's creation for future generations. Our forests and waterways, our croplands, and snow-capped peaks. There's no single step that can reverse the effects of climate change. But when it comes to the world we leave our children, we owe it to them to do what we can. So I hope you'll share this message with your friends. Because this is a challenge that affects everyone. And we all have a stake in solving it together. I hope to see you Tuesday. Aww. Thanks. Oh, see you Tuesday. Did, did he know we were going to have that, a show? On, he on did. He released that particularly for the show, actually. I, I asked him to, if he could just... Um, just pitch in with a comment. Pitch in with a comment there. <laughs> but just wanted to say thanks to the glorious leader there for... for I just words. want to point out that, that, that like, it's just... It's, it's just... Boggling. It's yeah. just so mind-boggling. It, well, you know, it, it, it focuses completely on man-made global warming. He doesn't say global warming, but there's plenty of news reports about that video and about his speech on Tuesday that refer to are still referring to global warming mm. and uh, not a word about global cooling or a word about, you know, of course they say that global warming causes, you know, can cause floods and rains and all that kind of stuff, but they do not ever say what Jason, what you were saying just previously, which is that there's loads and loads of science to show that uh, human history and life on, on planet Earth is defined by ice ages that were in uh, a relatively small ice-free yeah. period right now, but that all of human history and all of the planet's history is essentially defined by long ice age uh, I, periods. I, I have an article bookmarked that I still go to every now and again when I'm feeling depressed and I need to cheer myself up. <laughs> the headline goes something like, Snow will soon become a thing of the past. It was written 10 years ago in the UK Independent. Mm. And obviously it was, you know, about global warming. We're all entering a new warm era where the snow in the UK certainly will be a thing of the past. Of course, the UK has just gone through the coldest winter since records began. Mm-hmm. Well, over for the past three or four years, it's gone through. It's gone all of Europe has gone through severe cold and snowy winters, um, and the U.S. as well has, has been inundated with snow over the past four or five years, every single winter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to talk about climate change, as our glorious leader referred to it, uh, which is just a euphemism for global warming, because they don't caused by man, caused by man, of course, is. Uh, is, is ridiculous, you know, um, and it's and it's just trying to keep it uh, anthropocentric, essentially human centric. I.e., we are the cause, therefore we are the solution, and who who has the power to affect the solutions? It's our it's our glorious leaders. So, and uh, basically to make sure that people do not understand that 
our leaders cannot protect us from the changes that are already at the doorstep. We should start referring to him as fearless leader. Our fearless leader. We must to catch moose and squirrel. There's a yeah, it's uh, a double lie. Man-made global warming. Actually, it's a double lie because uh, it's hiding uh, a, a real phenomenon that is a cosmically <laughs> induced global cooling. And interestingly, uh, while the elites hammer the global warming, the man-made global warming myth into our brains in more private circles, like in this uh, Bilderberg meeting or in this uh, Pentagon uh, document, they directly addressed the global cooling topic. And not only they talk about it, but they are partly aware of it. Who does where? <clears throat> there is a, a Pentagon uh, document. Oh, in 2004, yeah. 2004, I think, a bit yeah. of a meeting uh, that, uh, well, that addresses this topic. And not only they, they address it, I mean, they talk about it, but they seem to be acting upon it when yeah. you see how many uh, so-called seed banks are mushroom, yeah. mushrooming around the world. So they seem to get, be getting ready right. while they lead the masses towards a cliff. Right. So, but here's the question I have because I don't really believe that they do that. Because the whole seed bank idea, I mean, if they understood what they were talking about, it would be, I don't know, say a good 100,000 years before they could plant those seeds. So, really, I mean, what do they expect that they're going to do with those? Yeah, they have some fanciful notion, I suppose. Uh, they're trying to cover all the bases or whatever. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. But, the, yeah, I mean, you talked about that they're well aware that, it, that global cooling is a real, real issue, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere and particularly in the center of. Of the of the evil empire today, which is USA uh, and the UK, let's say, and Israel and a few others, um, <laughs> that they're they're well aware of the reality of the situation, but they're keeping it uh, keeping stream about it. They're keeping quiet about it um, because, as Pierre just no- mentioned, there was a report commissioned uh, by Bush in 2004 uh, that spelled it all out about climate change and how it would cause wars and food food crisis and wars for water and food and mass um, immigration and people trying to get across borders, except that was 2004. Uh, if the world's covered in ice, I don't think there's going to be many water wars. N- no, I think I think they're talking about, you know, the initial, they're showing, they're thinking about the initial problems, which was, which is basically the build-up build build to an ice age where you have no summers, very cold winters, food shortages, crop failures and food shortages. The only problem with what you said is the word thinking. Yeah. <laughs> But there's also, uh, like in 2010, I, actually we reported on SOT that um, the Bilderberg Group in 2010, they were in, in somewhere in Spain, near Barcelona in Spain, they had global cooling on their agenda. It was written there on their website, on their agenda, among the other topics that we're going to discuss. One of them was global cooling. Global warming wasn't even on the agenda. And, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's so obvious. I mean, it's not even a, a big secret. There have been so many reports commissioned by U.S. government agencies over the past 10, 15, 20 years that show that this has nothing to do with man-made greenhouse gases or carbon emissions or anything like that. I mean, there was a 2002 report by the U.S. National Academy of Sciences that said that the available evidence suggests that abrupt climate changes are not only possible but likely in the future potentially with large impacts on ecosystems and societies. And the evidence also shows that Earth's climate system has sensitive thresholds. Pushed past a threshold, the system can jump quickly from one stable operating mode to a completely different one. Just a slowly increasing pressure of a finger eventually flips a switch and turns on a light, the report said. And 
scientists have so far identified only one viable mechanism to induce large global abrupt climate changes. And this is something you can talk to, Pierre, because I think there's more to it than this. But they said the only viable mechanism that induces such large global abrupt climate changes is a swift reorganization of the ocean currents circulating around the Earth. These currents, collectively known as the ocean conveyor, distribute vast quantities of heat around the planet and thus play a fundamental role in governing Earth's climate. Now, that's true, but it also means that it's got nothing to do with cars unless they've got some secret uh, underground, underwater, undersea bases where there are cars uh, driving and polluting the oceans. Then, obviously, that has little to do with uh, uh, the temperature of the oceans, has little to do directly with um, with man-made global warming. Uh, Maybe the about this myth of man-made global warming induced by anthropogenic CO2. When you look at figures, uh, man-made CO2 accounts for about 3% of total CO2 generated uh, on the planet. Mostly oceans and volcanoes are the main providers of CO2. Well, can I just finish what I was going to say there? Oh, Actually, I, I didn't know you. I just, well, I thought I had finished, but I hadn't. The point that uh, I'm making is that they talk about vast quantities of heat. The ocean currents transport vast quantities of heat around the planet. So what they're implying here is that there would be a problem with that transportation of vast quantities of heat by the oceans, i.e. it wouldn't transport heat anymore. It uh, would yeah, transport would what? Transport. Um, so much heat, i.e. But the whole problem with man-made global warming is that it heats things up too much. So, I mean, even in their own reports, they're pointing directly at the problem. The problem is not heating. The problem is cooling. The problem is, as far as they're concerned, the problem is the oceans and the fact that the oceans essentially are responsible for heating the planet. Mm-hmm. And if the oceans aren't able to heat the planet anymore, then we're going to have a major climate shift, uh, well, i.e. the oceans will be cooled, not heated. It's, again, a perfect example of when the government says something, just believe the exact opposite, and it's a high probability that you'll be correct. I mean, hmm. if they say it's global warming, then just invert that, it's global cooling. Just reverse everything they say. Yeah, and uh, I found the, the figures about the, the power transported by the Gulf Stream knowing that uh, there are oceanic currents uh, in every ocean, uh, turning clockwise in northern hemisphere, like Gulf Stream, and anti-clockwise in southern hemisphere. So just Gulf Stream uh, carries uh, an estimated uh, 1.4 petawatts. It's uh, 1.4 times 10 power 15, knowing that the human activity generates, produce only 15 terawatts, which is uh, 100 times less. So the Gulf Stream carries 100 times more energy than what the world consumes every second. And um, there was another paper yeah. that is somewhere in, uh, in this pile of uh, documents showing that uh, actually until recently, a scientist thought that Ice Age set quite slowly over 10 years, over several years. And, uh, and this paper showed that uh, actually last Ice Age probably set within uh, three months. It was very quick. It was very quick because one of the factors was the stalling of the ocean currents. Now, um, you mentioned uh, an interesting uh, point, the correlation between jet stream and, uh, and Gulf Stream, and it seems seem to be one. Well, mainstream science or some papers try to establish a, a causation between jet stream and, uh, and Gulf Stream. Another possibility that Gulf Stream and jet stream are induced by the same cause, yeah. an uh, electric one. Actually, so um, the reduction in solar activity, which is uh, unheard since uh, solar cycle 14, I think, in uh, 1906, um, the reduction in solar, sector, in solar activity could explain 
A, the meandering weakening jet stream, and B, the weakening stalling Gulf Stream. Well, another thing that might explain it is, uh, I mean, I, I tend to agree that the Gulf Stream and the jet stream are not not that one influences the other, but that they are kind of interdependent and they they influence each other. They're they're co they're codependent, um, and that both of them are influenced by something else. But one of the official uh, ideas that uh, specifically for the jet stream that influences or that causes the jet stream to to do what it does is the rotation of the Earth. Uh, which is pretty, pretty, pretty. Uh, kind of like a dynamo. Obvious in a way. Um, but of course, yeah, the Coriolis effect. Uh, indeed, the Coriolis effect, which is a well-known uh, force described by science for for a long time, states that um, a fluid, a gas, or a liquid will turn clockwise in the northern hemisphere because of spinning of the Earth, and anticlockwise in the in the southern hemisphere, and that's what our oceanic current do. Uh, this being said, there might be other factors at work, and, uh, uh, but the Coriolis effect, <clears throat> if you look at the, the duration of the day, the day duration is not constant. The days are longer and longer. So for decades, and it's been measured over, over a long period of time, for decades, the planet is slowing down. You know, this is uh, explained by mainstream science, by uh, what they call the lunar bulge tidal. The moon supposedly would uh, attract, um, would uh, generate a drag mm. on the planet Earth and slow it down. The problem is you have some planets in the solar system that have no moon and that exhibit the same slowdown. Mm -hmm. So a factor that might explain the variations in uh, Earth spin uh, frequency is again the, the electric factor yeah and uh, in this sense <coughs> sorry in this sense uh, reduction in solar activity could explain why the electric field between the stator the ionosphere you know the upper atmosphere around the, the earth the magnetosphere and the earth per se which act as a stator like in a like an electric motor reduction of this field reduction of solar activity induce a is slow down, infinitesimal slow down, but uh, and the same uh, force could be could be acting on the sun to r reduce sunspots at this time or increase them. Oh, that's another that's another um, kind of form. But uh, yeah, the, a question that is difficult to avoid is why is this the sun uh, activity dropping this much? It's not only solar cycle, uh, the 11 year solar cycle since we have a a low activity that was not uh, not that is a, a record, a, a century record. So there's something else at work. And <clears throat> actually, that's um, when I started writing this book, I was puzzled by uh, an apparent paradox. On one side, you have a drastic reduction in solar activity since the beginning of solar cycle 22, roughly 1998. And at the same time, you have a strong increase in asteroid activity around Earth in the solar system. Uh, if you check the data of the... Asteroid American uh, Society, you see uh, a 100% uh, increase in uh, asteroid observed fireballs over the last five years, just from 2012 to 2030, it's uh, an increase of about uh, 50%. So uh, it was a paradox because theoretically, the more asteroids in the solar system, the more solar discharges. You know, it acts a bit like a a bug 
flying in those uh, electric uh, bug traps, you know, with, to say electrodes. Bug zappers, yeah. Bug yeah. zapper. And um, so you have a lot of those asteroids in the solar system, bug zappers, that are supposed to trigger solar discharges, mm -hmm. sunspots. Mm -hmm. Sunspots, uh, coronal uh, mass ejections, and solar flares are the same mm -hmm. manifestation of uh, strong solar activity. Mm -hmm. uh, sunspots are just holes, actually. Holes leaving a, a current, electric current, traveling from the, the core of the sun to towards the, the confines of the solar system. So you have a lot of asteroids, <coughs> but the sun is... Uh, extremely quiet for in 2008 2009 you had months without one single sunspot mm -hmm. which is a uh, almost unprecedented i mean there's a precedent in uh, at the end of the 17th century it's called the Manda minimum a mm -hmm. uh, little ice age 50 years uh, of famine social unrest mm -hmm. crops uh, failure and uh, very cold temperatures uh, mean, and while there was uh, between zero and 10 sunspot 10 sunspot uh, a year <laughs> okay, before we get into that, we have a call here, so we'll go ahead and take it. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello? Hello? Hello, caller. What's Hello. your name? Where are you calling from? I'm not sure if I'm on the air. That's you. You're on the air. Oh, cool. Hey, sorry. I did not mean to call in, uh, but I'm enjoying the conversation, and uh, I have uh, definitely some interest about uh, in this area. I've been following your research on Signs of the Times for so long now that oh, I can't remember. But, uh, uh, yeah, um, my big question right now is what, what the environment is uh, going to sustain um, when we're going to see this um, in, in sustainability such that, you know, the prices, all the confluence of um, social um, behavior and social um, exchange are together uh, together with the environment, the limitation of natural resources, uh, energy. So what, what do you guys foresee in the next few years, say five years, from now on. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Well, so I think he's asking for a prediction. <laughs> well, without doing predictions... Are we going to go there? No, but we know, without going for predictions, the, the data for past year show a strong increase in, uh, in food prices all over the world, increasing uh, crop failures, and uh, all the indicators tend to confirm that uh, the current weather trends should increase, so sh uh, crop failure should increase too. Well, if you believe the UN, it's going to happen right now. I have an article here from October 2012. UN warms a blooming worldwide food crisis in 2013. Collapse of global food supply inevitable. World grain reserves are so dangerously low that severe weather in the United States or other food exporting countries could trigger a major hunger crisis next year, the U United Nations has warned. So there are plenty of reports. They are being broadcast and they're warning mm -hmm. danger zones entered mm -hmm. imminent. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but, you know, they're taking these forecasts seriously. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The uh, I think the caller mentioned, I didn't get his name, but I think he, he asked about energy crisis as well in terms of, uh, I mean, the whole idea that there's 
uh, an oil crisis or a, mm. a, a lack of oil or a peak oil scenario is pure nonsense because as far as as far as I'm concerned, uh, the evidence for oil being renewable resource is pretty strong, and it fits with uh, it, it fits with the it, it fits with the science and. Um, the point being is that we have various. I mean, like he's sitting there talking about the ocean currents are producing like 1.4 uh, petawatts of, of energy, and I mean, there's an abundance of of natural systems that produce energy mm-hmm. that we don't uh, allow the development of technology for, and that because we, you know, sort of maintain this kind of business because they're not really controllable by yeah. Because the problem is, is they're a little bit too free. I mean, it seems to me that the that the energy on the planet uh, for for human beings to exploit and to use for their civilizations, etc., has always been free. That's just for, by some coincidence or Mother Nature provides it for nothing, uh, and that includes oil. And But there's even more abundant and more easily accessible types of energy that that would be even more difficult for the powers that be to, to pretend that they're limited or that they need to sell, basically, that, that, that people couldn't get for themselves right. for free, you know? That wouldn't be as free as the air you breathe type of thing, but the one they picked was oil because oil could be uh, could be pitched or presented in this way that it was uh, it was very difficult to to extract and that it cost a lot of money to extract and only certain people could extract it and now that it's a limited supply and therefore you have to go to war you know can, the, the the need for energy uh, is used as a way to to justify you know further kind of uh, empire building and uh, domination of other countries and stuff and um, because I mean that's really uh, that well, that has been one of the rationales for for the war on terror when they when they ran out of ways to explain that it was about fighting terrorism they said you know behind behind the scenes or not even behind the scenes almost just kind of subtly they were saying okay it, you know the war on terror thing is a bit kind of okay it's not really about Saddam had no weapons of mass destruction etc you know okay you caught us on that one but we all know it's about all of us Americans, at least, and in the West, we all realize that it's about getting the oil for us, and you all want oil, like right? You want to run your cars, you want to run your your your, your refrigerators, you want to you want to have your decent uh, standard of living, right? So don't rock the boat here. Don't be giving us too much shit over this because we're doing it for you ultimately, you know. That's total bullshit, though. In the end, as well, because as uh, Chris Rock observed, he's like, I don't understand it. We invade in a country with oil, and suddenly gas is four dollars a gallon. Oh yeah, thing, you know, I mean. It's like we, that it's, we invaded a country that's oil rich, and all of a sudden gas costs more. How yeah. does that work yeah. out? Well, the where's all the are, The profits are for the for for the oil companies and their executives. Not, I mean, did they not mention that? There, there, there's another aspect to the caller's question. I, I think he might have been getting at it. I, I didn't catch the whole thing, but it, okay, so oil might be far more plentiful than they're letting on, but given the way things are. When shit hits the fan, what energy sources are available to you? The vast majority of people are dependent on the grid, yeah. oil-based. They're not just going to be able to access the oil and power themselves up. No. So that is going to be a fundamental problem, yeah. alternative sources of fuel. Um, yeah, when, when it's restricted or when they create a phony crisis and stop, cut off, shut down the taps, you know? Uh, oh well, they, when they put themselves in a position because of their their warmongering, where they actually create a situation where things do go kaflui and and their their oil refineries in the Middle East and stuff are bombed or they don't have access to the oil anymore. I mean, 
not that the oil would run out, but that basically they would create a situation where they can't get access to it because they have paid too many people. You know, sure, there could be a real crisis in that mm-hmm. sense, but it's not a real crisis in the sense of a, an energy crisis like we've run out of oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but uh, what do you mean, Neil, if I correctly understand, is uh, what about uh, citizen access to electricity? And uh, well, we just have to look at the way it works right now when there's a major flood, uh, cold spell, uh, strong wind, heavy snowfalls, basically the some power stations shut down and all the lines collapse. So sure, if the weather gets really bad, really nasty, although there's plenty of uh, raw resources, energetic resources like oil, mm-hmm. uh, I'm that full about the capacity of most citizens to access electricity mm-hmm. because the grid will be down and uh, probably in a, for lasting period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're talking about that now in Calgary. I mean, I don't know if they're exaggerating or not, but in Calgary they're saying it could take up to six months for them to restore electricity to the downtown area of Calgary. So that's Just simple. recently, for the second year running, the east coast of the U.S. has had a, a massive blackout from a huge mid-Atlantic storm. Yeah. Um, we're lucky if they can get systems back up online. Mm-hmm. Um thing that strikes me just on that topic, though, is that um, there's really no reason for the systems put into place to be so not fault tolerant, you know, to be so weak and, and so easy for just even a bad storm and a little bit of flooding just knock them over. If we didn't sort of tolerate a kind of a cheap manufacturing, you know, drop in a couple of poles, don't have any standards, you know, maximize your profits... And uh, it kind of leads to to a lot of suffering when 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 the shit hits the fan when there's a flood and stuff, you 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 begin to you begin to see that that kind of way of living, that commercial consumer way of living, is actually not the benefit that you thought it was. Yeah, and there's a lot of wishful thinking at work because uh, when you design a, a power station, for example, you have a <clears throat> a list of constraints. You know, there's been a temperature range, wind speed range atmospheric pressure range within which the power station can operate. And the way you define this range is based on several assumptions, beliefs. And today the preeminent belief is that we are living in a neo-Platonician, um, uh, uh, Darwinian, uh, linear, uniformitarian, mechanistic, uh, non-catastrophist world. So all weather parameters are within a narrow range. And that's within this narrow range that we design uh, industrial equipment. Problem is, uh, over the last year, we've seen that uh, more and more frequently, uh, weather events actually are out of this uh, narrow range. And there's a problem as far as the reliability of industrial equipment is concerned. They were not designed for that. But here's the thing. There are buildings on this earth that have been standing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They didn't They didn't sit there and say, hmm, there's a narrow range. They said, we're going to put this into place, and it's never going to fall down. And it hasn't, for the most part, except where extreme catastrophe and earthquakes may have made things crumble. But there are a large number of structures that are still around and have been around. You know, I mean, say, for instance, you look at cathedrals, and cathedrals kind of have this sort of like, you know, not going to move it type of mentality to it where it's it's not supposed to fall down. They've been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, but people today, they build and construct things 
I mean, just throw it up, you know, some particle board and some, you know, stuff like that. And that kind of consumer mentality kind of creates things that are just basically going to fall over when, when a flood comes, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a corporate mentality as well, aiming solely at the profit maximization and therefore cost minimization, building uh, cheap. But uh, another point uh, that was addressed, I think, by the caller was uh, he mentioned the word social. If I correctly remember, it, it connects to uh, one of the points you emphasized, Joe, previously. Uh, why do the elite... Uh, while a global cosmically induced cooling occurs, uh, talk about the man-made uh, global warming. And it, it's the same for a lot of phenomenon, cosmically induced contrails that are masquerade uh, or presented as uh, man-made uh, chemtrails. And uh, noctilus uh, and clouds that are cosmically induced, we can talk about the, the causes and that are presented as uh, due to pollution or global deeming that is said to be due to uh, industrial activity, etc., etc. So systematically, the elites, when there is one of the symptoms of this global cooling popping up, they twist it and present it as A, harmless, and B, man-made. One man-made, <clears throat> sure there is a guilt trip, sure there is the, the profit and the CO2 scheme and all that, but I think the main point is what you emphasize, Joe, is that this way, they maintain the fundamental illusion that they can protect the people. And this fundamental illusion is the reason why people give a mandate to the elite, because they believe that wrong, they, can wrongly, they can be protected by the elites. Ironically, uh, we can talk about later in the cosmic human uh, uh, connection. Ironically, this belief in being protected by the elites uh, I, I know ironically the people believe the elite can protect them from those cosmic events where the elites might be at least partly responsible of those events they're supposed to protect us from. That's the irony. It's, it's actually mind-bogglingly obtuse for them to still be focusing on the idea of man-made global warming because if you look at, I mean, the any of them that they talk about, they, they cherry-pick the, the details of what's going on. If they see a flood somewhere, uh, or, or they see a lot of rain, or a change in, in, in you know, if, it's, if there's drought or if there's flooding, they say, oh, man-made. They, they, they select those and say, this is you know, evidence of man-made global warming, and we need to do something about it. And it's all about humans, uh, you know, driving too many cars and you know, too many nuclear power plants, etc. But and they totally ignore all of the other stuff that's going on around that cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, be ascribed to humans. For example. While there are floods and droughts, for example, these two things that they blame on man-made global warming, at the exact same time, you have a vast increase in fireballs in the skies. You have a large increase in, in volcanic eruptions. You have a large increase in tornadoes and hurricanes. You have mass earthquakes, earthquakes animal die-offs. All of these things are happening concurrently, and they ignore all of the other details because they can't blame them on man-made global warming, on human, human, a human cause. But they're all obviously connected. Why would you not assume that they're all connected when they're all happening at the same time and they're all to do with, they all, they all, they're all in the sphere of the environment and you know, the, the planet, the ecosystem or the, the... Well, I think one sobering fact that people should also remember is that, you know, what, what is it, 98 or 99% of all life that has ever risen on the planet has died and become extinct? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean... There's another one you missed, Joe. Were they driving cars with miss? the dinosaurs or something? Probably, yeah. So sinkholes. 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 I wanted to say sinkholes. Sinkholes. Throw sinkholes in the mix because there's an epidemic of sinkholes going around. 
They're Weird. eating people, you know, and it's been going on for years. For I mean, we have a report on They're that. They're not eating that enough back. people. Well, yeah. I, I, I look back and I did a rough count and it took off. About 2005, <laughs> we started getting reports daily. Well, no, we didn't get reports daily yet, but we are getting them now. And we're not just... To be honest, I, I just dismiss oh, anything that could be passed off as a pothole that's relatively small, I don't even bother with. I'm talking about sinkholes eating cars that are moving. In other words, yeah. it's open so suddenly you didn't have time to get out of the way. Yeah. Next thing, your car is in the ground. Mm-hmm. Sinkholes that have eaten people alive, something like 20 people have been killed by sinkholes in so China so alone this yeah. year. So, so many, bla- so many the link- bodies disappear. Make they don't that- recover the bodies. Yeah, because they, <laughs> they get eaten because there's a yum, yum, yum <laughs> noise on the ground. As you are slowly digested over a thousand years in the pit of the stomach of the almighty Zarnak. Exactly. That's what's happening, you know. It's, it's science fiction becoming fact. But so many please connect sinkholes yeah. to, to, to carbon emissions, human, <laughs> human carbon emissions. How is that causing Well, what they're doing is they're saying it's because of the old infrastructure. Water mains are bursting. Well, you've oh, yeah, heard all about, of a sudden? You've, heard about, sudden. The, you've heard about the carbon footprint, haven't you? Ah. Um, recently, there were a spate of 50 sinkholes in one Russian city um, over a weekend. And it, it freaked people there out because they were op- opening like one, two, three, four. Um there was there was a place in, in North America too where like houses were falling into them. I think it was in California, Northern California. Yeah, the sinkholes. People think of a sinkhole as generally inland, generally generally on a street. A house, part of a house disappears, but then there are huge coastal collapses, landslides mm-hmm, as well. Um, I think the one you might be thinking no, of. No, no, that where, was inland. It was totally inland. Yeah. And there were these houses, and there was like eight of them that had gotten eaten, and there was another 11 that basically they said were going to get eaten, and people were basically going to have to move. Okay. I think it was inland in, in Northern California. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, there have been a large amount of them. And I mean, it's almost like whatever's controlling, and I like to think that something is controlling these sinkholes. There's some mechanism that, you know, is... Obama that is, Joe. Not Obama. <laughs> that... Um, because it's almost like they are increasing in number and also in, it's a CIA in the plot. In the pla- it might be in the places that in the places that they happen. It's almost like they're they're increasingly trying to get people's attention. Because there was one just a few months ago of that guy who was sleeping in his bed, and it just ate his bed, just uh-huh. ate his bedroom. It just swallowed made a hole, and they never found underneath him. his bed, and they never found him. You know, before that it was. You know, sinkholes here and there, but over the past year or two, it, they they have been swallowing people. Now, maybe you could just put that down to the incidence of them. The, the more sinkholes that open so up, many people, and so many people, uh, you know, the chances are that it's going to swallow someone. It's going to swallow more and more cars and more and more people as more and more of them uh, open up around populated areas. You know, but I mean, surely people need to start waking up and saying, okay, something's going on here because this isn't normal. Just like the dozen other things that are happening concurrently with our planet and with our environment that are not normal and clearly have nothing to do with global warming or man-made anything. Uh, although, at least not in a direct sense, it might be man-made in the sense of, you know, human beings are being such a bunch of it's asshats. The, it's the CIA tunneling underneath your house to install the molds. To yeah. install NSA software. Yeah. NSA software to listen into your conversation. And they just got a bit yeah. uh, carried away. away. Something happened last year that just connected it all together for me. So you had mass demonstrations. I think it was student protests that became a 
a whole citywide Occupy movement in Montreal. Um, it lasted a couple of weeks, and it reached a crescendo. And I think they they had to they just banned protests. The the, auto, the Quebec government just said, "Fine, it's now legal to protest." But it reached that point where there were a quarter million people on the streets, and there was video footage of this this last night. There was a huge storm going on, downpour, city nearly flooded. There were tornadoes in the area. And then the next morning, the streets are cleared. There's a huge sinkhole right in the main avenue where people have been protesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing I didn't mention is these, these groaning sounds that we, we mentioned. I mean, how much more do people need? I mean, if you, if you list them all, meteorites, volcanoes, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes sinkholes, large groaning sounds in the sky. Uh, what, what more do you want to, to make you sit up and take notice? What's mm-hmm. going to be required here to make you say, something's going on with our environment, and you know what? Global warming doesn't really cut it. You know, me yeah. burning my car, me not having a, an electric car doesn't really satisfy me as an answer as to why all this is happening. Anyway, I wanted to read this thing. Um, Pentagon, from 2004, just to put that war on terrorism in context. This is the report that Pierre was referring to from 2004. You can look it up if you Google something like, now the Pentagon tells Bush. Google that. Uh, Now the Pentagon tells Bush, climate change will destroy us. And here's the first couple of paragraphs. Climate change over the next 20 years could result in a global catastrophe costing millions of lives in wars and natural disasters. A secret report suppressed by U.S. defense chiefs and obtained by the observer warns that major European cities will be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Nuclear conflict, megadroids, famine and widespread rioting will erupt across the world. The document predicts that abrupt climate change could bring the planet to the edge of anarchy as countries develop a nuclear threat to defend and secure dwindling food, water, and energy supplies. Is that what Iran's doing? The th- here's the most important part. The threat to global stability vastly eclipses that of terrorism, say the few experts privy to its contents. That was in 2004. Mm-hmm. And yet they and continued. They knew, well, not only did they continue, they surely knew about this beforehand because this, yeah. is when it, uh, this, this report is from 2004. They don't say when the report was actually commissioned. It was probably commissioned several years beforehand and was known about several years beforehand. So before they started the war on terror, they were given hard data, comprehensive data by experts, by, you know, and I think there were even military people, military people involved in this who told the Bush administration that this threat that was imminent vastly eclipsed the threat of terrorism, which was virtually insignificant. Yet, they launched a war on terror. What does that tell you? What does it tell you, Neil? It tells me they... It tells me they... It tells me what... It tells me what a very quick search on Wikipedia about Ice Ages told me yesterday. It's all there. It, it, you don't even need to, to, to look too hard to realize this plain and simple fact that human civilization has existed within a very narrow window surrounded by deep ice age 
these windows are called interglacials. I think Jason mentioned them earlier. And the interglacial lasts on average 11.5 thousand years. We are we are currently at 12,000 years of the current epoch, the Holocene epoch. We are overdue. An ice age. An ice age. And we have all the evidence at once. That's, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing woo-woo about that. That is established. Well, another piece of evidence that should raise our attention is that the synchronicity in the apparition or worsening of all those symptoms. It tends to prove that they are related. When you look at sinkholes, Contrails, noctilus and clouds, punctual clouds, increase in earthquakes, increase in um, volcanic eruptions, reduction in uh, oceanic currents, meandering of jet streams, apparition of sinkholes, and I forget some of the symptoms. They all started to emerge or to be on to start to be on the increase for the known ones, like earthquakes, um, around 2000. Around 2000. Hmm, I wonder what when, happened around that time. But there are two, two, uh, maybe uh, I go back to, to the story I was saying that this, two, this apparent paradox, increase in asteroid activity and uh, decrease in solar activity, that happens as, as well around 2000, 1998. Um, it's apparently incompatible. <clears throat> However, one piece of the puzzle was brought by, uh, by a study conducted by two researchers, uh, Rop and Sepkowski, who demonstrated that there was a cycle in... Uh, mass extinctions, 27 million years cycle. And uh, then once this discovery was made and confirmed by the researcher that uh, clarified the, the figures and uh, found a 26.9 million years period, some other researchers started to look at it and uh, try to find the, the cause. The first hypothesis was uh, an asteroid you know, on a 27 million years orbit uh, passing nearby the But Earth. that only worked for one of them. Exactly, and the other problem is that such an eccentric and long orbit cannot be stable. The asteroid would be deviated from its course, its course by the Sun, Jupiter, and other massive celestial bodies. So a, a researcher called Müller, a, a student and a co-researcher with um, Alvarez, the Nobel Prize nominee, um, postulated that uh, it was not a, an asteroid, but it was a, a binary star system that the sun was forming with a, a small uh, a small star that he called Nemesis. Like a companion star? A companion star, a companion sun. It can seem totally crazy, but um, first, about 80% of the stars are in a binary or multiplary system. It's very unusual to have a, a single star because of uh, a process called uh, electric fissioning. There's so much electricity, energy generated around stars that they fission in order to increase the surface and to reduce the electric stress per, per square meters or per square kilometers. Um, that's the first thing. There's a, most stars are in a binary or multiplicity system. And the second thing is that Müller conducted some uh, researches in the stratas relating to this uh, 27 million years ago on event, and they discovered abnormal level of iridium. So now iridium is a, a noble metal like gold and platinum, and those high concentration of uh, iridium are found mostly in uh, asteroid uh, material. And um, that was the 
So he conducted research is uh, 66, 66 uh, sites all over the, the planet, and consistently he found abnormal level of iridiums in the EO layer, <laughs> the, the strata 27 million years ago, which confirmed that indeed the asteroids, an asteroid, had, uh, had killed dinosaurs 27 million years ago. So here we go. We had uh, this hypothesis that was confirmed by uh, by data that uh, the sun was not alone. He had a companion, probably a bone star, a small invisible star, that uh, every 27 million years goes very close to our planet, to our solar system, and that brings, disrupts and brings along on its path uh, a cometary swarm from the Oort cloud. The Oort cloud is like a big cloud of uh, mm-hmm. 10 power 11 uh, comets. Uh, away from the solar system, and along its path, Nemesis disturbs this uh, off cloud and brings some comets with it. Kind of like okay. a bowling ball through pens. Yeah. yeah, and this theory is not, I mean, you said it might sound strange. It's not strange. It's, it's, it's officially accepted as a possibility that the, that our sun is, a, is part of a binary system. It's, like you said, 80% of other stars yeah. are in a binary system, so why not ours? So, I mean, it's just that we haven't been able to identify, or at least... Not that we know of. It turns Our out companion that, has not been identified. That, that, that seeing shit in space is actually really difficult. Very far away stuff so as well. Big and you know, I mean, like black on black really doesn't help you much. As, yeah, especially if this uh, nemesis is a brown dwarf. Exactly. Yeah. It's a small, a small star that is dark matter. Not so you're trying to like find dark matter over <laughs> a dark background. Yeah. Very difficult, and actually, this uh, nemesis hypothesis reconciled the apparent paradox I was mentioning previously, i.e., increased asteroid activity, cometary activity in the solar system, and reduction in solar activity, because a, compa- a sun companion nemesis could, how to say that, ground the sun. It could tap in the same galactic current, a, a source of energy. Uh, the same source as, as the sun, and reduce the the power source of the sun. Hence, the reduction in solar activity, despite the increase mm. in uh, asteroids. Which and means, would explain the increase in, in uh, cometary activity as well, because of the swarm. The decrease of the spinning of the Earth. It may also yeah. have an effect on the Earth. Yeah. Actually, in a synergic way, the, the spinning of the Earth. If you have a, if you have an approaching nemesis with a cometary swarm. The approaching nemesis explains the reduction in solar activity, which explains the slowdown in the planet. Remember the electric motor analogy. And at the same time, the accompanying swarm that goes with nemesis explains the increase in atmospheric dust. That is one of the factors that uh, uh, explains the slowdown of the Earth. And we've had a, a, large, a couple of flybys from these comets. I mean, do they spray dust or, you know, does dust come off them or something? Uh, yeah, they, they do, because actually when you talk about an accompanying cometary swarm, it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, size variability. You have comets, you have comet fragments, you have comet chunks, and you have a lot of cometary dust. So they're all kind of size, and there's a lot of dust. In uh, um, Alvarez, the, the Nobel Prize, measured those, uh, those figures, it's... Uh, it's 10 power 6 tons, 10 power 10 tons. During low cometary activity, you have a 10 power something tons of cometary dust that reach the Earth every year. That's a lot. So uh, we, it's, a, it's a factor to, to take into account. We have a call here. This guy has been trying to call in a few times. So I'll, I'm going to go ahead and take it. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? 
Hi, Michael Thomas Jane. How do you know his name? It's on oh. screen here. Hello, caller. Michael, you're on air. Hello. <coughs> well, he, he apparently he, entered. He'd been trying to call and getting cut off for whatever reason. He might have hung, hung up. up. Yeah. He might have hung up. He's well, been doing Go ahead. I want to be a caller for a question. Go ahead. Hi, caller. What's your name? What are you calling uh, from? My name's Joe. No, it's not. Who's <laughs> your per? Pierre, you're talking about a 27-something thereabouts million-year cycle. But clearly there have been cometary events, like swarms, on a much smaller time scale as well. Well, yes. Like uh, ice ages, cometary activity is punctuated by numerous interrelated cycles. <clears throat> like the sun activity. Like uh, every year, the Earth orbit goes through um, swarms, the Taurids, the Leonids, the Perseids. That's one cycle. Um, there are other cycles. There are the, there's a lot of comets who have called the, what is called a Jupiterian orbit, the circle around the Sun and Jupiter. And uh, every uh, <coughs> decade, every century, we uh, we pass nearby those uh, comets. There are comets as well that are one-time comets. Exactly. So here's the, the possibility yeah. then is that uh, we need to redefine the nature of life on human Earth, uh, on, on life on planet Earth, um, and that it's that it's not as safe and secure as people have been led to believe, and that throughout the course of human history, including relatively recent history, uh, the planet has been hit by meteorites and is hit in a general sense on a regular basis or encounters meteorite um, swarms or a meteorite or of that nature very regularly uh, maybe on a cycle of who knows I mean you could pick a figure but at the very least if you if you read Mike Bailey's work the last major one was less than 1500 years ago so we can say at the very least that uh, if that if that's a cycle, then there's a cycle of fifteen hundred years, or fifteen or sixteen hundred years, um, and then there's bigger cycles within that. And exactly. those smaller cycles don't exactly. necessarily have the effect of uh, the kind of planetary and ecosystem chaos that we're seeing now, because they're not accompanied by uh, the companion star. But there's a companion star cycle that is a much larger cycle, a longer cycle, and it carries meteorites or comets uh, fragments with it. Uh, but it also induces these kind of earth changes that we're seeing now and also changes uh, in, in human beings and the human population it has an effect on the human population because of uh, the electrical or electromagnetic effects of this well, companion in terms of the grounding of a current through the whole solar system and the changes on the planet. And Throughout history, people have acknowledged that there is, you know, like even the term lunatic, you know, people notice that there is a certain rise with a full moon of people having strange behavior, that the, the cosmos has an effect on people. But that always makes me wonder, do people have an effect on the cosmos? Uh, well, yeah, yeah that's, I mean, the, that's the... That's an interesting point. Uh, before when we talk about pedawatts, how many pedawatts does eight billion people on the planet give off? I don't think we should be talking about Catholics here. <laughs> well, uh, b- before this, pedawatts, Jason. 
Before discussing it and to illustrate what you were mentioning before, the, the combination of the approaching Nemesis and the cometary swarm. Uh, Nemesis to, is such an awesome name. Though, it's it? a goddess that was uh, chastising the powerful who yeah. were oppressing the, the masses. So Which quite an apt name. Yeah, exactly. Nemesis no. for the elite, you mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It was chastising the powerful. Well, it's not one. Have nemesis for, for human beings. Um, for human beings. And one example of this, uh, the synergic action between Nemesis and, uh, and the swarm is that uh, Nemesis grants the sun. Therefore, the electric field between the ionosphere and the planet is reduced. Mm-hmm. And that is very electric field that destroys most incoming asteroids. So Nemesis, with the sw- Nemesis neutralizes our main defense mechanism against ent- entering asteroids, and the swarm brings more and more asteroids. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but it also... Reduces the magnetic Earth's magnetic field, which protects the, the population. The population of the planet protects us against cosmic radiation, which yeah. may have some unknown effects on the human organism and psyche. And of course, probably yes. Uh, zombies. Now, but the cosmos has obviously an influence on human beings. Does a human do human being have an influence on cosmos? Well, for millennia, it was the belief of uh, rulers, of scientists, of philosophers. It's still a predominant belief in China since uh, for almost four millennia in China, there is this belief in a concept called mandate of heaven. Mandate of heaven postulates that... Uh, do you want to read it, Neil? It's funny you mentioned that. I have <clears throat> a quote here from one of Mike Bailey's books, Exodus to Arthur. So he's describing this mandate of heaven. The Chinese believed that an emperor could reign only while he enjoyed the mandate of heaven, that is, while he looked after his people. If for any reason he failed to look after their well-being, heaven would withdraw its mandate and the emperor and his ruling dynasty would be deposed. The close proximity of the end of the Shia dynasty to the 1628 BC dust veil events, so that would be uh, dust as in cometary dust. The end of the Shang dynasty to the 1159 BC dust veil, dust veil event, and the end of the Xi'in dynasty at the start of the Han dynasty sometime around 207 BC, suggests that perhaps the effects of these dust veils caused by comet dust loading of the atmosphere were tied up with the mandate concept. Heaven would have been seen to withdraw its mandate when the sky darkened, the crops failed and the famine ensued, bringing death to large numbers of people. The emperor, and this is important, guilty or not, gets the blame for failing his people. In the aftermath of a calamitous dust veil event, the political upset could easily lead to the deposing of the ruling regime. But here we have an interesting thing. Can I can I say something on that? Because if you think about it, it's basically telling telling anybody who wants to rule or be an established authority on the planet that they have to really look after the people in order to maintain control. But instead, they continue to do this whole manipulation thing. And I, I just think that's interesting because if they had really been doing their job, then a crop failure would not have been such a big issue. Mm-hmm. But because they create this commerce and this, you know, corporatism and mercantilism and agriculturalism, and have people dependent on a scarcity model for 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 an economy so they can get rich and wealthy and have power, 
because they don't create a society that's, you know, sort of egalitarian and everybody's supporting each other and everybody's building things and constructing a society that is built to to last and protect the human race from all manner of catastrophe and problem, you know, of course they get exactly what they deserve. So the the, the emperor is guilty in that sense. The leaders are guilty when, when that kind of stuff comes and affects the people because they could have been spending that 11,000 years building a society that could survive it. But instead they lie and cheat and steal and conceal the information and saying, oh, it'll delay, delay, delay. And then at the end, the shit hits the fan and they get their head chopped off. And it's like, is it their fault? Yeah, it is their fault, period. Yeah. You know? Actually, this concept of mandate of heaven didn't, was not only applied in the Eastern world. In the Western world, until recently, 19th century, in the emergence of the um, clockwork, clockwork model of the universe where cosmic events and human affairs were totally uncorrelated, you had a, a belief and probably a conviction that those two spheres were intimately related. Um, for example, during the, the Roman empires, you have some chroniclers like Michael the Syrian that structure the chronicles, so their historical accounts. Uh, along for each period, they have two paragraphs. One paragraph with a human political affairs, abuse of the elites, tyranny, lies, suffering of the masses, exploitation. And on the other side of the page, you have the chapter dedicated to cosmic events. And then in the conclusive words, for each period of time, for each year, for each reign, the chroniclers draw the conclusions and the links between elite's behavior mm. and uh, calamities. And to, to, yeah, Go ahead. to give an example in, a, uh, in, this, uh, in this book that is under preparation, uh, it, when you look at history, actually, you see a strong correlation between collapse of empires and uh, cosmic events, as if empires are based on operation and exploitation of the masses, more resources, more power. And to keep the oppression going, you have to uh, use more violence and more lie. You have to deceive the people in order to keep, in order that they keep you keep as control. a king, uh, to keep control. And uh, apparently, um, this, uh, the lies, the violence, the suffering build up and eventually trigger some cosmic reaction. Uh, that might be what happened to the 15th dynasty, uh, 1500 BC in Egypt, with the Santorini eruption of other calamities. Probably what happened in the 14th century in Europe, with the plague that lasted four centuries and other natural catastrophes. And uh, I focus on uh, one example, one uh, short period of, of time from 40, 549 to 591, and uh, with Laura we compiled. Uh, all the catastrophes that were compiled by eight different chroniclers in the Roman Empire. And uh, over the span of 42 years, you have accounts of uh, comets, 12 times, earthquakes, 15 times, and plague, uh, 15% in 15% of the listed years. Well, those statistics, they don't give a much uh, data about the intensity of the events. Uh, but when you read what happened, the description of the events, uh, like the plague in Constantinople, it's uh, 60% of the people who died. It's uh, the emperor giving gold to find people to dig graveyards. 
this is collective pits for 70,000 corpses. It's a huge, huge magnitude. And uh, actually, this series of calamities happened, as I said, between uh, 549 and 591, uh, which was uh, around the end of the reign of Justinian. And Justinian was uh, one of the most despotic, despotic emperors the Roman Empire uh, has ever experienced. Well, that's when, that's, and that's when Mike Bailey puts the approximately the 540 AD event. I mean, that's, and, exactly. and that's hard science. I mean, it's hard to explain it any other way than a... And you have Procopius, Procopius uh, historian, the, probably the most prominent historian of the, of the Roman Empire, a Roman historian who clearly draws a parallel. He writes about all the abuse perpetrated by Justinian, and there's a lot. He was uh, like our modern time uh, leaders, same lies, same violence, same uh, hypocrisy. And uh, so he lists all those abuses, and then he describes the calamities. And he concludes by saying, by talking about the correlation between both. So for a long time in the Eastern world and in the Western world, the vision of the universe did not dissociate cosmic events and human affairs. Actually, it was the opposite, and both were intimate, intimately related. Yeah, so that leads us into the question of, of whether they are in some what or what the mechanism is that would uh, establish that kind of relationship, or if there is a mechanism. But, I mean, if you look at it today, the powers that be today are causing poverty, suffering, uh, famine, uh, starvation. They're even causing disease and plague uh, to a certain extent uh, by their policies. <clears throat> so they're doing all of that in the absence of of it being done by by some kind of cosmic uh, force or a, a meteorite or a meteorite impact. Uh, so it's almost like, in some way. The correlation there is that the elite go ahead and actually cause all of this suffering, and then the universe or whatever you want to call it, whatever force this is, comes along and says, "Okay, you want you want some of that? <clears throat> Here you go." And you know, because that's that's basically what we think is, is if if these events come to pass, that's what's going to happen. It's just going going to be a a multiple a multifold increase of the kind of suffering that the elites are wreaking on the population. I mean, At the minute, they're just going to do the same thing because they are—they're causing—they've caused poverty in Africa for for decades. You know, starvation, poverty, and starvation for decades. But it's just going to be expanded by a cosmic event. It's going to be expanded to the rest of the population. It's going to be brought home to the people who are who have been doing it. You know, I think we, the the problem with this particular line of, of discussion is is that there's a lot of a lot of uh, esoteric and and. Uh, spiritualism behind that idea though, you know, I mean because people people believe fundamentally in a depersonalized universe. Yeah. The clockwork universe as Pierre was saying. That they see it as this uh almost dead kind of um machine. A, a, a machine that impartial that's by some sort of weird random accident, you know, called the Big Bang, things were set into motion and all the wheels turn and eventually they'll stop turning, but that there's there's no personalization of the universe that there's no there's no life you know that a, a planet isn't alive in any real sense no. the sun or a solar system no consciousness alive, you know? no intelligence behind it really yeah what, right. what you said Joe is a is an important point this uh, clockwork model denies with this clockwork model of the universe responsibility of human beings was dead God was dead and consciousness was dead so after this analysis of historical data and philosophical beliefs. 
the next question is, does it make sense scientifically? And actually, there are some pieces of evidence that suggest that uh, it's uh, totally plausible. There's, uh, there's one study that uh, if you, you type uh, on Google, uh, Professor Robert Yan, J-A-H-N, and Brenda Dunes, D-U-N-N-E-S, you should find uh, about their life and experiment for years, for decades, they investigated the, the relations between consciousness and matter. And for that, they conducted something like 2,500 trials. And uh, basically, it was always the same experiment. You know, you have subjects, normal subjects, not uh, clairvoyants or uh, special people. You have normal subjects to try to influence a random event generator, flip of a coin or whatever. And they found that actually, over 2,500 trials, uh, I think uh, 20 years of research, they found that indeed human beings had an influence of so-called random events on matter. Um, they found that the influence was small, yeah, a few percent, but it was statistically very significant. Yeah. And now, <clears throat> okay, that's the that's the first point: small influence, but. Uh, statistically very significant. Another of the discoveries that some people had an influence, but influence that was opposite to what they wanted. When they were focusing on head, they were getting more tails than head in a right. statistically significant way. Right. So that's a major nail in the coffin of New Age. Right. You might not create the reality the way you wish, exactly. but yeah. what you think, what you believe, lies or truth, might have an influence on the on the universe, but, but I, yeah, go on. Oh yeah, I have I have another thing because again we're kind of in this whole spirituality kind of new agey area where we're talking about things that aren't necessarily one hundred percent concrete scientifically, although we have this sort of thing where you can affect obviously in a statistically significant way uh, the outcome of some sort of random chance event. But uh, throughout all kind of like philosophical and esoteric systems, they have this statement, as above, so below. Kind of like this, this idea that everything in the universe kind of increases in complexity, but functions more or less the same way on each level, conceptually speaking, you know? And so if you look at your body, right? So if you have a cancerous growth in your body, or you have some sort of diseased section of the body, your body mobilizes an autoimmune response to go and destroy the fuck out of it. Basically, indiscriminately, uh, your, your, your immune system is not completely discriminated. It'll go in there, and even a cell that may not be contributing in any negative way, just the fact that it looks mildly wrong, has the wrong molecule attached to it, it your body will just destroy it. Yeah, and to follow your analogy, uh, and to go on with the description of the study conducted by uh, Jan and Dunas, uh, how does the immune system detect a cancerous cell? Or how does the cancerous cell signal its presence? So they went on with a study about the interaction between consciousness and matter and discovered that when people were related and trained together to influence random events, it was more effective if people were close, like lovers, like related and relatives in the same family, like all-time friends, which suggests two things that A, there might be some synergetic effects when a group of people work together, acting together, and B, that if a group of people share the same set of beliefs, 
of cultural reference, information, then the message sent by the group is not chaotic. One believes white, one believes black, one believes green, one believes red, but they all resonate on the same frequency and all have in their consciousness the same type of information, which branch on uh, the next theoretical uh, field, which is information theory. And in the Bible it says if, if, if even two of you should agree, you know, be an unstoppable force in the Bible, you know, and it says if two people agree, you know, just agree type of thing. So it's yeah. interesting. But what I was going to say is, um, why does the body go and attack some cells? You know, what what is a cancerous cell? A cancerous cell is one that stops functioning for the survival and betterment of the body and starts to function for itself, to consume only for itself, to bring all kinds of stuff in, to, to feed on sugars in the body and, you know, just constantly works to just reproduce its own self in its own way and no longer as a part of the body. It separates itself from the entire biological system and then the body realizes that, you know, it can't have that. Your cell cannot be just living for itself. It has to live for the perpetuation of the body. And in a certain sense, we see that in, in the world today. We see lots of people who turn in on themselves. All they're doing is me, mine, feed me, consume only for me. And so in a certain sense, they are kind of like a cancer cell or a malfunctioning cell that no longer works to sustain the entire social system, but instead only wants to draw on itself. And when you have a lot of people doing that, does that attract a cosmic autoimmune response? And now the yeah, well, for, for that idea, you'd have to see the entire universe, uh, including the planet, as some kind of a living system. You know, uh, not 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 like the way you described before, uh, where people tend to look at it as a as a sterile, mechanistic, right. uh, impartial. You gotta you know, take that. You gotta you gotta have some idea that uh, you have to suspend disbelief or or get over the programming of of modern science with this mechanistic well, view and and, and assume that. There is some kind of an intelligent living system, and it's beyond just us that we're part of it. It extends to the planet and extends to the solar system and to the cosmos. there is more cosmos, evidence you know? in the world for what I just said than there is for what they said, because there is no instance of a natural existing system that is disconnected, not connected, not symbiotic, not organic, not living and growing and expanding. There is no such system in the entire universe that is observable. Yeah, the so, human body itself, 10% of the cells in your body are yours. The rest are symbiotic organisms that live inside you. You are 10% of your body is yours. The rest is other things that help you out, help you with digestion. And the entire earth, its surface is covered by all these symbiotic life forms and every other... Yeah. I mean, every system with nature functions exactly the way that I was describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's no but, reason to say that the universe, the solar system doesn't function the same way yeah. as the universe itself does. Yeah, just because it can't be measured doesn't mean that it, I mean, if, if, if it can be measured at a, at, a, at a local level as being true, then why not expand it out to a, to a broader well, level? Think, but, of, think about it like this way. When you're talking about science in that particular, from that perspective, imagine that you have a man inside of a prison without a window sitting there arguing about whether or not the color of the wall is one thing or the other. You can't measure it. Of course you can't. You're contained by the universe. You can't step outside and yeah. say, is it all? What's going on yeah. here? Although, the, so the idea there is that obviously there is a relationship between all kind of living things in some way or other, and they do uh, operate in tandem, and they have, they re, they're related to each other. They operate, uh, you know, symbiotically. Um, 
but then the question in terms of how the human beings uh, individually or more importantly as a collective 8 billion human beings on the planet might be in some way uh, influencing catastrophes or cyclical catastrophes or something out there in the universe to, in terms of as a whole 8 billion human beings giving off some kind of a signal through their thoughts or their collective I don't know, the collective un unconscious or whatever, get, sending some kind of a signal off the planet out in space. You know, I mean, it's well, not it's your, not hard physics. How but does your kidney send a, a message to your brain? Yeah, well, it's well, it's at the level. Yeah, it's at the level of, of, of it's at the at the level of uh, of, I mean, of of um, you know, at the microscopic or, or molecular level type of thing where where messages are sent. Uh, what does that even mean, know, though? Yeah, well, they're, they're supposedly they're physical objects, but well, it, uh, so there's a, a physical. Root, it, there's an exchange of information that takes place. But yeah, but it's but physical. Right here, we're saying that, that we're saying well, that a foreign physical. body that a foreign body enters into the vicinity of the sun, and that a connection forms. Whatever that connection is, yeah, that a connection forms between two bodies that are separated by space. Right? Yeah. We're saying that Nemesis comes in, and that it connects into some sort of electricity channel of, of the sun, right? Yeah. We've said this. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's difficult to, to answer in a definite way to this question because if there was a, a classical electric link between the sun and the approaching nemesis, we would see an increased electrical activity of the sun. So the connection might not happen on the usual electric level. But yes, there's a connection, probably. This being said... Uh, well, there's a connection between... You say that the Earth powers... That the Sun powers the Earth's rotation. Yeah. How does it do that? It does that... Uh, does but, energy that is in the Sun at one point ever move across space and in any yeah. way touch the Earth? Yes. Oh, isn't that a... Form, can you communicate across electric lines? Of course. With electricity? Yes. Well, then there you go. You oh. Well, within, within the human body, obviously, a lot, of the, a lot of the processing of signals and all is done with electrical, uh, electrical signals. I mean, in your brain, it's all, it's, your, it's all fundamentally electrical. Neurons and nerve impulses and neurotransmitters <coughs> uh, are all fundamentally electrical. Right. And even at the level of quantum, yeah. quantum physics, uh, right. this idea of quantum entanglement and action at a distance where you have these two... Uh, where you have two, you know whatever, protons or neutrons. Neutrons uh, having uh, the same spin. Electrons, sorry, yeah, having the same spin. You know, when, when so we're basically saying that there's a large body of scientific evidence that is defending the position that we're saying. Yeah, but not, it's not applied to, on a large scale, to human beings and human evolution and human history and, and cosmic events. And cosmic well, that's events. that's a surprise. Uh, well, <laughs> I think uh, actually the link, most of the visible phenomena can be explained electrically. Mm -hmm. But the most fundamental ones probably require the, the use of information, information theory and, uh, and quantum physics. Uh, to go on with this notion of resonance, remember when a group of related people want to influence together a random event, they have a stronger influence, right. synergetic influence. Right. Look at the human population now, the world population, 8 billion people, because of mainstream medias, they, do, they all store the same information, the same lies propagated by many medias in their consciousness. Right. They all are on the same life frequency. Yeah. And that has that can have a, a big influence because it might not be a purely electric phenomenon. As you said, there might be some quantum right. factor to con 
But the quantum physics say that nothing exists per se. Everything is probability. It's only the intervention of the observer mm -hmm. that triggers the collapse of the quantum wave. Mm -hmm. That's a broad range of possibilities and make one of the possibilities materialize while the other one does not mm -hmm. materialize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, probably the phenomenon that is occurring is that the fact that 8 million human beings resonate on the same frequency spread by mainstream media, mainstream disinformation, send a very coherent signal information-wise mm, yeah. as a global observer yeah. to the rest of the universe that trigger, trigger that increase the probability Attending. of the cosmic reaction we are describing this. I, I, actually, comment I, actually, I recorded the sound of that signal that the billion human beings are uh, played. Hopefully no comet will drop on the house. <laughs> the sound of it is something along the lines of... Well, the thing is, what was I think is what I thought about it. A bit. I think the problem was than that. I don't think that, that eight billion people are, are all the people I believe the same lie. I think that they all believe like a, a series of, of actually discordant lies. Yeah, it's it's incoherence, it's noise. totally uh, incoherent noise. I you think know? compared to the other catastrophes, Justinian plague, the Black Plague, all of the 15th dynasty, you have a, a critical mass as far as what population is concerned, 8 billion, and I think there's never been consistency in the beliefs of human beings because there's never been such global medias. And uh, scams like man-made global warming, like uh, the elites are the, like, the, the myth of democracy, like terrorism, like uh, Al-Qaeda. Like, there's a lot of slides. I don't say that 8 billion people yeah. believe, but I say there's a critical mass. There's never been billions of human beings believing this amount of the same lies. Yeah. And that's a, a major factor as far as the influence of I mean, the observer concerned. Yeah, so all these people are essentially <coughs> collectively believing in, as, as, as the observer, as a collective observer, they're all believing in, in lies of one form or another on the same frequency, i.e. it's not truth. And they're sending a signal there that uh, basically says that they, they are not interested in reality or yeah. in, in what's really going on. They want to live in an illusion. And maybe there's a function within the universe that when it sees a, it sees a mass of people believing in that and asserting their, their intention or their, their, their desire to essentially believe in lies and illusion, uh, that it says, okay, well, that can only last so long. And there's a, some function that just wipes them out and starts again because the whole process is to well, when you designed to get people to... To, to see reality and, and see truth and see the world as, as it is, or at least right. at least try to build a future or right. view a future that's based on truth and what is and what is actually happening rather than a, a subjective illusion. Because if you focus on subjective illusions, there's no end to it. Anybody can come up with any number, an endless number right. of subjective illusions that... that uh, well, I mean, like when you have gangrene on your hand, there's a certain point where they amputate it, you know, just because it's, it's gone infect. too far. Yeah. And that's kind of the situation that we have here on the planet is that, you know, there there are people, obviously, who do want to see the truth, but they are so few and far between. And they probably feel that it's a bit unfair, but I think from, from a cosmic perspective, 
um, you know, this this town needs an enema. Yeah. You know, seriously. The, the annoying thing is, is that reality, truth, is not really any worse. No, not at all. Than the, than the, fact, subject, the subjective world that the people live in and want to want to believe in. I mean. Uh, there's nothing horrible about reality except the fact that you've been living a life for so long, and, and especially when you believe that you know the world's a lovely place and our glorious leaders are, are doing their best for us. Sure, it's difficult to come out of that, but you got yourself into it. You got to come out of that. But once you're out the other side, reality isn't isn't so bad. The world is a very interesting. The universe is a very interesting, fascinating place. I mean, here's, so here's the thing. I mean, you're not losing anything by giving you, it when up. When you face the reality, there's all these different ways that you can die. Comets can come down, sinkholes, while all this different stuff, diseases, other animals get eaten by a lion or whatever. There's, there's all these different things. Those things haven't disappeared. Like the regular dangers of reality, like no government has ever, or no medical science has ever really actually ameliorated those things anyway. Mm-hmm. So actually, when you when you get rid of them and you stop believing in them and giving them power, basically you're just back to the core fundamental problems of of life on on the planet. Yeah, I mean, basically they just cause more. It's actually worse to believe in them than it is to actually believe in objective reality. Yeah, and and uh, Joe, you mentioned that. Uh, you made this snoring sound and say that was the main cause of uh, the coming disaster. That's the sound of the signal giving off. Yeah, the signal. It might be even worse because, as you say today, the truth is available. If you you take 9-11, you have 50% roughly of people believing that 9-11 was uh, happened according to the official story. How many percentage? About one out of two, about 50%. So 50% believe in this lie resonate on the same live frequency while the truth is out there. While there are thousands of websites that show how the official theory doesn't uh, hold water. Yeah. You know, and uh, on the analytical level, yeah, go on. I think it's even worse than that in a way that a lot of, I think most people, there might be 50, 50% of people who believe or don't or disbelieve the official story, but they have nine eleven, for example. They, but that's only when they're asked on it by a CNN pollster. The rest of the time, they don't care one way or the other. That's right. the big that's problem. The big they problem. just don't even think about it. They don't think about anything that they should be thinking about. I think it doesn't interest them. So that for me, that's a kind of fatalistic, uh, you know, cynical or negative viewpoint on it. Is that People just really, a lot of these people are really a lost cause in that they don't care or they can't care. I don't know what it is, why they don't care, but, you know. And, and there are some... Uh, I think in the end it's a moot point whether or not they believe the 9-11. I think the 9-11 is such a drop in a massive ocean of perpetual lies for the last, you know, probably 10,000 years of human history, of a constant nonstop stream um, uh, of lies, socially, you know, civilization, you agriculture, know, we, food, health, medicine, religion, wars, war, democracies, religions, de- science, democracies, tyrannies, politics. all this different stuff, believing in these systems that are just fraudulent. I, I think that the 9-11 is just, is just a drop in a massive ocean of lies. But that's, but one that's, more. That, that's the question. If you took a person, one of these people, who we say is maybe a lost cause or doesn't care. And would it be possible if, take one as an example, and try and school him or her, try and present them with the truth and, and make the choice as clear as possible just to see whether or not ultimately at the, at the core of their being they would choose 
the truth over the illusion. You know, like in the Matrix where... Yeah. Uh, blue pill, blue the red pill. Well, not the red pill, blue pill part, but the, uh, where, where Morpheus is telling Neo that he'll... Um, he only gives that, the truth. That, that these, no, these people that he's walking in the street, yeah. that, they're, they, that, that they're so hopelessly inured in the system, system. That, they will, that they will fight fight you to defend to it, defend oh, it yeah. you know, <clears throat> if you try and bring them out of it. Right. So it's like, uh, I, I think people shouldn't, or should have paused before they get into this idea that I, I they can save anybody because it's, it's like, I, I have this story, right, that I keep telling. Uh, and it's an analogy, you all probably heard it before, but it's basically, I don't think I've mentioned it on the radio, but it's basically, uh, for me, it's a good example of what I'm talking about on the human condition in a way. There was, it was a, a cousin of my dad's, you know, maybe 50 years ago, something walking down the street and he saw a man, it was actually a gypsy, a gypsy man beating or assaulting in some way his wife or a woman, as he saw it, as my dad's cousin saw it on, on the street, saw this man assaulting a woman. So he ran over and grabbed the man and pushed him off the woman and held him against the wall. Before he could do anything or say anything, the woman that was being beaten by the man previously on the street, jumped on his back yeah. and started oh, beating yeah. him. Oh, yeah. And apparently it was yeah. his wife, the yeah. guy's wife. Uh, yeah. and, and so she was, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So that's, that's an example of, you know? and you apply that then to truth and lies type of thing. If you went along and said, listen, I'm going to take this person, I'm going to force them to see the truth because I know right. it's good for them. And, and ultimately, after many attempts to try and save that person, you might ultimately have to realize that that person really, really does not want to be safe and will not like you for trying. Well, you know, I mean, if you if you believe in evolution, which you don't really believe in it, but it's okay. It's it's a nice it's a nice kind of an yeah. analogy. There's a large number of supposedly mutations that happen in a population that are just completely unsuccessful, and that person that that mutated being dies off very quickly. I, I believe in ultimate evolution. Yeah, and I think that, just that not a lot now. of these people. I think that that. Now the, the the human race has in, has entered an area where there's a lot of mental evolution and consciousness evolution that that a lot of it's about developing a brain that has this kind of thing called consciousness and can have it and all this stuff. And so what what basically is is that a large part of the population is actually just sort of like a consciousness mutation, hmm. and uh, they're 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 about to get selected out in a certain sense, you know. Well, because there's there's people that actually read books about how it's better to believe lies than the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they write things about how great it is to, to basically deceive yourself and, and that you have all of these self-deceivers. And, you know, I mean, if we hadn't been deceiving ourselves for the last 11,000 years, if we hadn't been doing that, we would have a social system in place that would be able to withstand an ice age, that would be able mm-hmm. to withstand all these things. We would have said, okay, hold on, this shit, shit, shit happens, and uh, we, we need, need to prepare, prepare for this. And, and we could have uh, developed something, uh, but we didn't. We were deceiving ourselves, and now we're about to find out what the cost of that self-deception is. But is there any cost to a person who loves illusion? Is there really any cost to that person in the grand scheme of things? I think yes. Is it not just a process, a long-term evolutionary process through multiple incarnations, and it doesn't really matter if those people really like, those people who write the books about how it's good to deceive yourself? This is a really good world to do that, because you can do that and get away with it. (laughs) You can do that and have a really nice, illusory, deceptive life. I mean, if, I mean, if there's okay, no maybe cost, if there's no cost, then there's no point. Well, yeah, maybe. That's, I mean, if everything, maybe, maybe. If it, nothing in the universe. But nihilism goes no a long free, way. There's no free lunch. I mean, this whole idea that there's a group of people who can just sort of like consume and consume and consume and do whatever the fuck they want. 
and they don't have to pay a, a price at some sort of spiritual or I don't think I don't think for cosmic some, level for a lot of people I don't think they do I know because that would be too much like a free lunch and I don't believe in a free lunch I believe that everyone everyone does pay a price for their self deception I don't know about that whatever I, it's very last minute of their life probably all balls <laughs> you know I, I mean, would like to that. that. Yeah, but, but I mean, otherwise they would be getting they would they would be having a free ride, and I don't think anybody has a free ride. I don't think necessarily that they have karma or that they have no. a soul or anything like that. Well, I think that they suffer tremendously. I, well, of course, I, th- I don't think when I said this is a good place, this is a good planet for people to be on who like to deceive themselves. I mean, people can't deceive themselves in the way that I'm describing or the way that you were describing without suffering, because I mean, you can you, you take it too far. You deceive yourself that the jungle's a nice place to go for a picnic, and you get your ear bitten off by a panther. That's not it's not a fun experience. No, you suffer. I mean, these people obviously do suffer right. from their illusions, right? Um, but there are people who benefit greatly from. I think people fake happiness a lot. I think that all these people who there's no such thing as blissful ignorance. I think that from moment to moment that they wonder why all this bad shit happens. But look how many people are on like you know antidepressants and. I mean, people are going around with this kind of forced smile on their face. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. But really, I mean, life sucks for like 99.9. I think even rich people, life sucks. I think the people in power, life sucks for them too. Mm. I mean, they're not really having a fun time of it. I mean, yeah, that doesn't mean that you should pity them no. at all because, of course, they're, they're bastards and they, they deserve what they get. But I think that everyone is suffering. And well, then that makes it even worse because it's completely pointless because nobody's really getting uh, a benefit from all the suffering that's going on. So what's the point in all the suffering? Why, why is anybody creating any suffering if nobody's really benefiting? Surely someone. I think they are. I mean, even if we all have to suffer for our miserable human lives, it would be nice to think that at least there's a purpose to it. And even if it's some evil overlord is sucking the juice of the suffering from us, at least there's a point to it. Because otherwise, it's like there's no point. This is all pointless. Well, that's the that's the what what do they call it? The existentialist kind of opinion of it. Or what yeah. it is for there's there's no point to it all. And yeah, it's I don't nihilism. think so. You know, nihilism. Yeah, there you go. Well, they also make examples of going back to to the relation between uh, human beings and uh, cosmic reactions. There are at least two examples that show that uh, individuals can attract or this have influence on cosmic events. There is a first example of Roy Cleveland Sullivan, a U.S. Mac Ranger. This guy got thunderstruck eight times in his life. Struck by lightning. Struck by lightning, yeah. Thunderstruck. You can't, you can't get struck, struck by struck thunder. By thunder. Thunder is the sound of the voice. Yeah, okay, oh yeah, all right. Struck by lightning. Struck by, light, by lightning eight times. And uh, so some people say, yeah, but it's because he was a park ranger. He was always in the forest and there's more probability to be struck by uh, lightning. Well, actually, probability is very low even if you're in the forest. And especially when you're Roy Cleveland Sullivan, that after being struck for the first time, was escaping lightnings. As soon as he was seeing a cloud, he was running away from the cloud. And several times he got... Th- struck by lightning where there was no cloud and even one time he saw a cloud far away he ran into his car because he thought okay uh, it's a Faraday cage it insulator I won't be struck he was struck even in his car he was chasing him <laughs> there seemed to have been this guy still alive something in his guy no he died in 1983 I think was he yeah. struck by lightning when he died no <laughs> no no and um, what did he die of that would have been ironic I don't know mention on, the, on this yeah, document. Interesting. Oh, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound at the age of 71 over an unrequited love. Mm-hmm. And there's a, this other guy, 
this guy is Radovike Lajic, 50 years old. He lives in uh, Belgrade, near Belgrade, and he lives in Bosnia. And this guy got his house struck six times by meteorites. So having your house struck once by a meteorite is very unlikely, even in those time of high uh, asteroid activity. But six times, you start to think it's not due solely to random chance. Well, I mean, was he like a Satanist or something? I mean, if you're going to carry this hypothesis over, we've got to prove that he's been doing something very, very It would bad. be interesting, but uh, what is mentioned is that uh, he believes strongly in UFOs, and he strongly believe, believes that UFOs are sending the meteorites. Oh, man. So, well, I suspect that he came up with that belief because after, of the, yeah, after yeah, post facto, yeah, it's it's probably for individual cases, it it would be very difficult to establish the direct causal relationship. What is going on in the mind mm. or the belief or well, something that I've always what thought triggers? is that you know the large majority of people on the planet kind of like have a collective soul or something you know that they have this collective unconscious thing that uh, what's his name was talking about young or whatever it is mm-hmm. but I think actually it's kind of a collective soul that they're all part of like the same body so that just because you know one guy isn't worshiping Satan it's the it's the fifteen neighbors that there might be maybe he's resonating yeah, yeah with people on the same wavelength. So what are we saying here? What are we saying? The question is... Well, it seems that... Uh, how does... Uh, how do human beings influence the... universe? Or gravitate? Or attract? Cyclical catastrophe? Or indeed, do they? It seems that they are cyclical catastrophes anyway. And that on a quantum level... The amount of lies believed by a critical mass of individuals modify the probabilities of those catastrophes to occur. So the solution, if we not pass the point of no return, is to reach an opposite critical mass of individuals that would see the world, the universe as it is. True. Sure. <clears throat> we'll get that done oh, tomorrow. We'll get oh, that yeah. done tomorrow, and then by Tuesday, yeah, everything will be okay, yeah? Yeah, let's get started on that tonight. Yeah. Tea yeah. and biscuits. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it seems that, getting back to what we were saying towards the beginning of the show, is that um, the elite, at least, the elite elite, the elite above the elite, the super-duper, uber-top-secret government, the big kahuna, the big kahuna people, Somebody, they they surely know what the truth is. Maybe they're in denial about it, but they've written reports. There's lots of scientific reports, and there's even presidential and NSA reports and CIA reports and stuff on major uh, climate change. And we suspect strongly that they're also aware of cometary bombardments. I mean, when you have people like Mike Bailey writing books that, point out that it happens quite regularly um, surely the powers that be are aware of this um, yet they're trying their best to make sure that no or as few people as possible become aware of it um, and realize that the powers that be that the elites can't protect them they're trying to make sure that everybody stays under this illusion that they can be protected by their by their leaders against anything and if there are certain things that Obviously, the leaders can't protect against them, they ignore them. Um, and in terms of the chaotic weather 
we've had a few years of um, serious flooding and droughts that has caused serious problems with uh, crop yields, and we expect some major food shortages and food prices <coughs> in, a, in the not too distant future. Um, which leads me to the the story that uh, that I've been aware of for for a couple of years now, and that has been in the media for a few years, but nobody pays any attention to it. Which is about uh, what the West, Western countries, governments, and the Chinese and Middle Eastern governments are all doing in Africa. They're all buying up large tracts of land in Africa for the purpose of apparently growing various types of crops and fruit and different kind of foodstuffs. Some of, some of it they claim they claim to be for biofuels, but I don't believe the biofuel business because that just ties into the whole kind of uh, peak oil. And it's like these people read 1984 and then didn't see it as like, oh, shit, this could happen. They were like, oh, yeah, this could happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Because, I mean, it's not just that they're buying up large, massive, I'm talking about massive tracts of land in Africa, but the Chinese specifically anyway, have been building massive, uh, basically been building cities in Africa. There's one, um, there's one, this is uh, reported by the BBC a few years ago, uh, about um, a Chinese-built city on the outskirts of Angola's capital, Luanda. And the city, and even given a name, it's called the Nova Ciudad de Quilamba, the new city of Quilamba. And it was designed, it's designed to hold up to half a million people. There are 750 eight-story apartment buildings, 12 schools and more than 100 retail units. And it covers 12,335 acres, but it's completely empty. There's nobody in it. It's a brand new city, essentially, or a large town uh, for half a million, well, a city for half a million people, and it's empty. And that's just one of them. And at the same time, they're building all these, uh, they're developing fast tracts of African land for agriculture, supposedly. And um, yeah, over the last three years, land grabbing, that's the way they call this uh, recent phenomena, has been amounting over the last three years to 200,000 square miles. That's more than the total surface of California. So obviously, the elites know, at least partly, <coughs> what is going to happen. But uh, from their moves, seed banks, lead grab, building cities, I'm not sure they're aware of all the parameters and all the consequences of what might happen. No, because based on what we expect and what we know from... There's nowhere to hide. Exactly. Previous. There's no place to run, you know? I mean, I'm sure they've used their best analysts to come up with the answers to the problem as to what to do if, um, you know... You have major food riots, for example, in the U.S. or in any country. Um, but I would say that, give, assuming that they're smart enough and that they uh, are able to really understand the situation, they're probably doing this kind of thing in as many places as possible. They're probably, you know, they've probably done South America, Africa, well, they have. Asia, I mean, there's a lot Australia, of Australia. Yeah, sure. You know, build us a few cities on every continent, and. Um, yeah. And we'll take our pick whenever, whenever the shit hits the fan. Yeah, and you notice that it's mainly in the southern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that suggests global cooling, uh, ice age. But you know, based on the last ice age, it was uh, you had major droughts. So maybe that's why they're put in the southern hemisphere, or with the northern hemisphere being 
largely either covered in ice or kind of semi-frozen tundra type uh, land. The southern hemisphere apparently was very dry. So maybe putting in some kind of techno-eco-biosphere systems. I think they are actually. I was reading something about that in Africa where they're putting in these big kind of domed growing areas. And you stuff, know what this you know, reminds with, me of? With, with solar panels and wind power and all this kind of stuff. It's almost like, it's basically like elite survivalist. You know what this reminds yeah. me of? There's a, there's a city built into, a, built into like a cliff or something like that, like this massive thing. And um, it's kind of a bit of a mystery in the U.S. It's kind of like supposedly the Indians came in and built it or something like that, but I don't think that there's much evidence that it was actually ever lived in. It makes you wonder if if they tried this before, if if some sort of elite group of people said, ooh, let's do this, and they kind of built like a, a city inside of one of these, you know, sort of cliffs or something like that, that they were going to go to there when the shit hit the fan. And I, and I, I wonder how that worked out for them. Well, an entire city um, has been excavated in Turkey. Yeah. That's underground. Yeah, yeah there's that underground city in, in, in Turkey. And I think that the, I think that they they keep doing this, and and they're, they're fucking retarded, to be quite honest, you know, because there's there's no reason for them not to develop civilization to the point where everybody can survive and have fun and and be fine. There's no reason for them not to. It's just it's just totally ridiculous behavior. It's utterly well, ignorant and pointless in, in the end. It's so pointless because then what are they going to rule over? Nothing. I mean, they're, they're not going to. They're not going to go somewhere and survive, you know, <clears throat> setting up their seed banks and let's build a city that's exactly like all the other cities that we've built, but in this other area. And then we'll fly 500,000 of the, the the best people. And, you know, it's sort of like Dr. Strangelove and, you know, five wives per man or whatever it is. I mean, it's this is fantasy. It's complete uh, fantasy. At the same time, you can you cannot expect from the dark elites, from the psychopathic elites, more than what they are able to. By nature, they see what they want to see. They dwell into wishful thinking. They feed on the suffering. They use lies and deception. They enjoy the suffering of the others. So inevitably, if us having the responsibility as the masses, having the responsibility to believe or not in their lies, to fall or not for their traps, if we fail to make the right choice, so you reach this critical mass of lies, of suffering, right. and you trigger those cosmic reactions. So right. to some extent, the choice between two possible futures is more in the hands of people with a conscience than in the hands of the elites, right. psychopaths, who act like machines, who right. just do what they are supposed to do. And who it's cannot do so more. It's the mandate of heaven. It's the mandate of the people. I mean, <clears> yeah. you know, the people have spoken. They've decided, you know, which which group of people they're going to follow, which people group of people they're going to believe in, and, and, and as much as we say, hey, you're not really thinking this shit through, they're going to do it, and and they're, and they're going to suffer for it. To be quite honest, because you know this situation is really, I mean, we're talking about like an ice age, we're talking about like, you know, volcanoes erupting and dust filling the atmosphere, blocking out the sun possibly. I mean, which has happened uh, before a dust cloud, dust cover. Um, you know, bombardment, uh, the slowing of the rotation of the Earth, uh, the weakening of the magnetic field, which protects us from a whole shitload of stuff like radiation. You're going to have people, you know, walk outside and, and get like, you know, third degree burns, you know, from the radiation or something like that because they're in the wrong area. I mean, these people think that, what are you, 
it's ridiculous. It's kind of like the entire universe is a. It's like a big garden, or it's like a big. Yeah, um, yeah it's kind of like a big garden, and each planet, each habit, inhabited planet is. Uh, is like a little, <clears throat> a little. Uh, a little isolated garden in and of itself where a particular type of plant grow or a particular t- variation or, or a variety of plants grow. And and um, there are particular types of plants that are, that are beneficial, beneficial and mm-hmm. that are meant to grow there. And, we- and, and then there are weeds, you know, and uh, and every once in a while the gardener, universal gardener comes around to, to look at each of the gardens to tend the plants and stuff. And if yeah. it sees a bunch of uh, we- if it sees, it sees it weeds, or toxic plants have overtaken the garden, then it's like okay, get the it's a weed killer. Get the roundup out towards Monsanto, you know, and uh, and just you know start again, you know. Uh, it's not a problem. Let's just start again. Whoops, this one went a bit wrong. Uh, it was a good try, but it, you know, and we got some interesting variations, I mean, interesting hybrids, which brings me to there. zombies. Yeah. Uh, why are there so many zombie movies around in the past year? In the past few years, you know, and 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 zombie, the concept of zombies, the zombie idea around. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost like that's. That ties into the idea of this feedback, you know, almost like a collective right. unconscious where what people are or, or the way they're going or the way their minds are, right. you know, the way they have devolved essentially into a zombie-like state is kind of fed back to, so to the creative principles on the it planet is, who is. then come out with these ideas of zombies. Like this one with Brad Pitt, WWZ, World War Z. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. this zombie movie par excellence, you know, I mean, it's like... No, I've noticed in my ridiculous because I do drawing sometimes, and I notice that I have a lot of zombie imagery in my head that I have to resist. Basically, yeah, I mean, where is that coming from? It's well, I mean, I always explain it as like you know, there's a there's a, didn't we? No, maybe we shouldn't go into that. That's way too. That's way too. <laughs> way too off into the fringe, Jason. We've gone everywhere. <laughs> there is to go. <laughs> go on. Well, I mean, I look at I look at the world as there's there's a river that floats above everybody's head where all the creative ideas that could possibly ever be had are, and you know some people's heads are just high enough that they kind of walk through this river and they get ideas so that just you know things come down the pipe, and that's why you know people all over the world are seeing the zombie stuff because it's just there, it's in the other. It still leaves the question of why zombies now, and something I thought was. It's, it's a, almost like the collective it's a unconscious metaphor. speaking back to itself. Yeah. Possibly in anticipation of a mass wipeout from plague. Yeah, totally. I mean, that would look as horrific. Plague? Well, in the sense that there would be the living dead. Yeah. That you would have mass casualties. Right. And such a horrific situation that right. um, people, those who are still alive, many of them will wish they were dead. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's I mean that's the quintessential horror movie. Right. We look at it at a distance; it's just a movie. Right. But we also go to it because we are sort of horrified by it. Right. Um, it's not just it's not just coming through in movies. I mean, nearly every major city in the West holds annual zombie parades where people yeah. will actually act out what it is to be like to be a zombie. Yeah, it's it's covered it's covered the movies. It's covered actual life where Even people have been started acting. Security. Yeah, have started acting like people have started acting like uh, zombies in real life, mm-hmm. like eating each other's faces. You've yeah. had uh, movies. You've had. Uh, they've used zombies for training exercises for the military, yeah. where they dress people up as zombies and the military goes in and fires. I don't know why they, they never really know. explain why and why they 
It was you a promotional zombie. thing. I don't even know if it was. I think they just decided let's have zombies in there. It's, just, <clears throat> it's the kind of a thing where it's people there. wouldn't know. People there, wouldn't, people who do it, don't know why they're coming up with the idea of zombies. It just sounds like a good idea, you know. Yeah. Like who was on first? You know, they say, oh, well, there's that Brad Pitt movie. We just figured we'd, um, you know, have zombies for a bit of fun. To well, shoot I mean, at, in all know? fairness, the zombie meme has actually been going around for a long yeah. time. Yeah. I didn't hear. It just, it just really burst out. Mm. You know. Uh, you mentioned the plague. I think during the show we didn't talk about possible correlation between uh, cometary activity and uh, space-borne viruses. That's because we don't want to approach the p-word. We may, we may as well. <laughs> no, don't. So, We've been so doom and gloom. Very quickly. Usually, there's a cliche about uh, meteorites or cometary bombardments. It's one single body hitting the surface of the Earth, and uh, Data shows that actually, usually, it's not one single body involved, but it's swarm, different bodies of different size. And uh, most explosions happen in the atmosphere. It's overhead cometary explosions. Mm -hmm. And actually, the main damage induced by comets, comets may not be due to the shock wave, but to more intangible factors like A, airborne viruses. And there is this... Um, this uh, researcher, Indian researcher, called Chandra Vikramasinghe of the Buckingham Center for Astrobiology, who published a paper recently showing the presence, I had a, a <coughs> picture in front of me, of a fossilized diatom, you know, this microorganism, fused fo a fused fossil of diatom fused into the, the meteoric rock, mm -hmm. showing that indeed <coughs> asteroid material can carry uh, viruses bacteria and, uh, and other microorganisms. And, um, well, throughout history, so, uh, comets are associated with the coming of plague. That's where I was mm -hmm. coming. The Justinian plague followed a, a intense episode of cometary activity, and the Black Plague, before the Black Plague, the beginning of 14th century, there was a strong cometary activity. And there's a, there's a bit of delay, but uh, remember that airborne aerosols, microorganisms, can take years to drop from the high atmosphere right. to the ground. That's why maybe all those new viruses that have been recently uh, discovered are avian viruses, mm -hmm. because birds catch them first, and most of them emerge around the Himalayas because that's where the atmosphere is the thinnest. So that's where aerosols, microorganisms, fall the, the fastest on the surface of the, uh, of the Earth. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what was the topic of our show again? <clears throat> um, uh, the topic of our show was like this: we the, want, ice age, the ice comet. age comet. We want, yeah, we want to understand all this crazy weather. What it might be a prelude to. Um, we mentioned ice well, age being, because, historically speaking, I mean, ice ages are a fact. Yeah, they have always, they've been, they've always been preceded by the very signs we're noticing, even increase uh, levels of carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. Of course, there were no humans around, no industry around to do it in times past. That's the kind of the Which part... Is the question that no one ever seems yeah, to answer. Yeah, the part they leave out. We touched on that by talking about the high levels of CO2 released by the oceans, um, which totally dwarf any amounts of CO2 that's produced by human activity. Well, by plants as well. Yeah, and what we didn't say that CO2, all CO2 man-made and naturally made, accounts for about 5% yeah, of the heating gas, greenhouse gas, the main one being uh, vapor, 
water vapor. Mm -hmm. But what we can say about the perspective is that clearly the two main indicators of an approaching sun's companion and accompanying cometary swarm, i.e. those two indicators are reduction in solar activity and increase in uh, fireballs, those two symptoms are still on the rise today, mm -hmm. which suggests that Nemesis hasn't reached its apelion yet, its closest point to the sun. I think so it's getting closer. And as long as it's getting closer, its consequences, its effects should be on the rise. Yeah. So from my point of view, data suggests, strongly suggests that all the symptoms we've been listing should worsen. Yeah, I think well, in terms of the, the topic of the show, the Ice Age comet, uh, yeah, Ice Ages have come, come and gone at uh, several times in history, but as far as we know or as far as we suspect, they weren't necessarily accompanied by all of the other uh, earth changes that we're seeing that we that we mentioned. Volcanoes, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, sinkholes, outgassings, animal die-offs. They weren't all, all the previous ice ages or many ice ages or cold periods were not uh, accompanied by, by all of that, which suggests that something is happening on a much larger scale to the planet and as Pierre just suggested that it's uh, possibly associated with the approach of a solar companion. Uh, that there, that our solar system is a binary system, and that 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 is the cause. Um, actually, we have a call here. Oh, go, on. go on. Go on. Yeah. Hello. Hi, Claire. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Roland uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, Roland. Hey, yeah, where are you on. from, dude? <coughs> Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yes. What's that? So I was uh, listening to what you were uh, talking about with the universe and uh, creation, and uh, wanted to express it that it appears that the universe, the way it operates, has a uh, seems to be safe valve uh, mechanisms, in which when a species starts to uh, endanger the greater good, which is Earth and other life forms, it has mm -hmm. cycles. Um, during this life period, which is very, very short window period for life to evolutionize, if it, what happens is if any of that life does progress, it has a test in which it brings on comets or ice age, and if that race or human race has been progressing the way it should have, it would have uh, that that human race would use its intelligence and its consciousness to ward off such uh, an extreme cataclysmic event or a protection. Yeah, or, or, or so, overcome it, like what we've been saying, you know. We would have developed right, exactly. you know, some so, way to deal with this, but instead we haven't. Exactly. It's almost like, I, mean, I hate to say it, but it's almost like it's too late in a sense. I mean, I know there's this thing where we, where we say, well, it's never too late, but the actual fact of the matter is sometimes it is too late. And that's something that I'm not saying that it is, but I think that's something that we need to consider. Because once you get out the, once you are, are able to deprogram yourself from thinking that you're special or we're special, once you get rid of that, you realize that we're on the same playing field as every other species in, in this world, and that we're a part of this cycle. And it's a, it's a, uh, the universe establishes certain cycles, and it's like certain ones are warnings, and then it, it gives you more warnings, and then, boom. 
Word, word, at a exactly. Point that, yeah, at a certain point, that's I it. Think, Either you progress or you don't. And yeah, I mean, a lot of people should, good. Yeah, a lot of people should really think about that. Like, you know, if if say for instance, worst case scenario, we're looking at like the complete end of our race. I mean, we should really ask ourselves, what have we given to uh, cosmic posterity? Um, what have we left behind? I mean, you know, yeah. imagine some 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 extraterrestrial archaeologist comes to Earth like you know a thousand years from now, and everything's a total barren wasteland, a total ice, and there's no, there's no more life at all on the planet. And he's going to dig up, and the first thing he's going to find is a Britney Spears CD, and <laughs> and we've left that to posterity. I mean, that's yeah, that's right. the great monument to, that, to the human yeah. race is that, a bunch of CDs that will never biodegrade, that's a, trashing yeah. the entire world up. I that's mean, the material aspect of the what we would live, and there's also a more immaterial aspect, the information dimension, yeah. what you call this. Which uh, is why people, I think, maybe wrote. collective consciousness, what kind of information, true or false, did we live in this uh, collective memory records? And I think that that's evidence of why we, we made the megaliths that we have made with, you know, writing on these giant, huge structures, these giant stone structures with writing, is that I think at a certain point, man had that philosophy, what are we leaving to posterity? And uh, again, I kind of ask that question about now. You know, I mean, do we deserve to live as a race? I mean, does the human race does the human race deserve to live? I don't know. It's an interesting uh, question. Time, I think time. I think time will events and times will tell who, who yeah. will move exactly. on and who will not. Exactly, man. That's Absolutely. Pretty insightful stuff you brought up, dude. All right, Roland. Thanks for your call. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you, Roland. Take it easy. All right. All right, folks. I think we're gonna. Call it night. We're gonna wrap this one up. We've uh, dealt with the topic and more. I think. Yeah. Uh, as usual, we always like to give some value added um, on our shows. <laughs> Keep you guessing. Uh, Mix stuff up as we go along. A little bit. Ooh, a little bit. Wah! Yeah. A little bit of what the hell did he just say? <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, thanks to our, our listeners for listening again. Um, to our callers. We'll be back next week with another action-packed show about a topic that we will only reveal that we'll flip a coin midweek. to decide on. <laughs> and we try to influence the random event. We, we actually the put meantime, all these topics into like a little like, you know, Powerball machine, a tumbler, yeah. and we just sort of pick them out. Yeah. But in the meantime, everybody's listening. Y'all, you know, try and influence uh, something somehow for the better rather than for the worse, mm-hmm. um, you know, anyway. And the best way to influence for the best is just see the world as it is. Objectivity. Think positive thoughts, but think positive thoughts that are true. Keep the truth front and center yeah. and keep the faith, the real faith. All right, overnight. We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of... We are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression. We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio. The world for people who think.